Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. These are my top 10 Reddit stories from 2023. Whether you like Entitled Parents, Nuclear Revenge, or r slash am I the jerk, there's no doubt that Reddit has something for everyone. Now, I, of course, have read a lot of Reddit stories this year, so I'm in a good place to let you guys know what my top 10 are. I also ask you guys for your input as well over on my community tab, so thank you very much for those of you that got involved. These are my top 10 Reddit stories across the entirety of Reddit. That means any subreddit from this year. So without further ado, drop a like on this one if you're excited to see what the best story of the year is. Subscribe if you haven't already done so. And here we go. These are the best stories of 2023. Right then, let's start off with number 10 and quite possibly the dumbest story I read this year. It's definitely one of my favorites because it is really funny, but also just so, so stupid. As you can probably guess, this one comes from r slash stories about Kevin. Enjoy. He wants to DNA test her kids. So I can't even completely wrap my brain around this, Kevin. But when my friend Sage told me the story, I just had to get her permission to post it here. She gave it, so here we go. Fair warning, I fear the number of IQ points that may be lost in reading this. Sage started dating Kevin about two years before this incident. Things seemed to be going all right between them. She told me he was a bit of a derp and sometimes incredibly oblivious to some things. He couldn't pick up subtle cues and even suggestions flew over his head with about a mile of airspace between his skull and the suggestion. She originally chalked it up to him being on the autism spectrum as she had a few other friends who have similar problems picking up cues. So she just switched her behavior from talking to neurotypical to talking to neurodivergent and the bump smoothed out for a while. All is well and good. Then the talk of taking the relationship seriously came up. Marriage, becoming a family. And that's when the plane hit the mountain with a cartoonish bang. Kevin announced that he wanted to DNA test Sage's kids to make sure they were his. Kids who were five and three when Sage and Kevin started dating. Sage said that she had to come to a full stop in the conversation for several seconds while her brain rebooted. They're not your kids. You know they're not. My ex-husband and I had them together before I ever met you. She had still been pregnant with the youngest when she and her ex had finalized the divorce. That's a whole other story. Yeah, and now that we're getting married, they'll become mine. I just want to DNA test them to be sure of it, replied Kevin. Let me see if I understand this. Do you do you actually think my children's DNA will change to become biologically yours when you adopt them? Obviously, I just want the confirmation on paper is all. Insert, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works meme here. There was a long conversation about how DNA didn't work that way with his rebuttal that adopting them would make them become his. Then there had to be a conversation that becoming his children would only happen on paper and in the legal system. 
that no, the children would not magically transform into his own biological children once the paperwork was filled out. Him insisting that everybody said the kids became theirs once adoption happened. Her explaining the concept of adopted children are loved just as much as if they were biological and that was what that meant. Him insisting that everything pointed to kids becoming theirs. His mum eventually had to become involved to back Sage up. His dad had to become involved to back Sage up. A few books had to get involved to back Sage up. Kevin was furious. He couldn't understand why people would ever adopt a kid if the kid didn't become the actual biological child of the people who took them in. How stupid and selfish it was for kids to retain the DNA of the sperm or egg donor. How could any kid who wanted to be adopted refuse to change one little thing so they could have parents? DNA doesn't work that way is a BS excuse. He ranted, he raved, and right in front of his own parents, he told her that if her kids weren't going to become his kids, then the marriage wasn't going to happen. He told her that he would give them all a week to change their minds and agree to be his biological kids. He said, when they stopped being selfish and when the DNA test proved it, he would take the kids in. Sage said to me, and that's how the relationship ended. Uh, wait, hang on, I replied. Was he just looking for an excuse to break it off? Did he just get cold feet or want to date around some more or... Nope, he really is just that stupid. His mum called me on the sly and very gently suggested that I just break it off with Kevin because no matter how much she and his dad talk to him, he's adamant about it. He's even saying that he will never date a woman with kids from here on out unless they agree to change their DNA to become his if the relationship becomes serious. So, Sage is single again, having dodged a tactical nuke. God help everyone if he ever breathes. Oh my goodness, what a return to r slash stories about Kevin. Just absolute stupidity. Unbelievable. To be honest, when I read the title, I thought it was going to be pretty stupid. Something like a Kevin asking a mum to get a DNA test for her children or, or something as idiotic as that. But I think this was actually worse. This was more dumb than what I expected. Him asking children to change their DNA to match his so that they can become a biological family. What? I mean, this is the top comment on the post. Uh, it just says, what the frick? And I think that pretty much just, just sums up my reaction. Now let's get into number nine. This one, to be fair, isn't actually a Reddit story in the traditional sense. I was just informed of it on Reddit. But I love this one because it just shows how stupid certain people can be and also how entitled they are. This one is not a long one, but it's golden. Have a look at this. How about this? For a news article headline florida man arrested for wrestling a fake alligator at a shopping mall and you can see if you're watching on youtube uh, uh, there's an image here and what's amazing is that there's also an accompanying video of this which we're gonna get into but first of all a florida teen was arrested for wrestling and damaging a fake alligator at a mall mid days after he was arrested for attempting a wrestling move on his school principal i mean if this picture didn't say enough i think that is giving us the context that we need <laughs> Police didn't have to search hard to track him down since he shared an Instagram video of himself damaging the display alligator at the full shopping center in Miami. That video, as I said, we're going to watch in just a second. The video, which was later released by police, shows him taking off his shirt, jumping over a fence and tackling the fake alligator in a shallow pond. The destruction of the display animal, valued at 
3,690 US dollars took place back on March 30th. And without further ado, I'm delighted to say that here is that video. And here we go. Here is the absolute hoodlum himself. Um, top off, you know, doing what any good man does and proceeding to do this. So for those of you that are listening on podcast platforms, this guy, this random guy, has, has jumped into a pond with a fake alligator, RKO'd it, now pinning it to the ground, wrestling style, and that's it. Shock. He was arrested. Now for number eight, into probably the first serious one of this episode. This one comes from r slash nuclear revenge. The reason I chose this one is because I think it's so close to all of us. What could be worse? than someone else killing your dog. I know, it's a truly horrible thought and there aren't many things worse in the entire world. But thankfully, this story of nuclear revenge gets some well-deserved justice, at least. Don't kill your neighbor's dogs. My crazy antisocial elderly aunt lives in the mountains of West Virginia. My aunt is a mean, bitter old woman who was suspected of shooting and killing her ex-husband, but the cops could never pin it on her. Years ago, she bought a small home on some land that borders the land of another family in a small, narrow, isolated, forested mountain valley. The other family had been living there for a long time and they just wanted to be left alone, like most people who chose to live in a remote mountain location in West Virginia. My aunt bought chickens and started to let them run around, unfenced on her property, and the neighbor's dogs were very interested in those chickens. The chickens would roam around and go over onto the neighbor's property. One day, without warning, she killed her neighbor's dogs for killing one of her chickens and only one of the dogs was killed on her property. The other one was shot dead in the neighbor's front yard. The neighbors had small kids and they loved those dogs. My aunt walked over with a shotgun and told the neighbors that they had better never get another chicken killing dog or dogs again or else she would kill them too. The neighbors didn't take too kindly to her killing their dogs and her actions with the shotgun, waving it around and threatening them were over the top, but they didn't call the cops. Knowing that my crazy aunt, who had a reputation for being violent, was unlikely to be arrested, and if she was arrested, she would just quickly be released from jail and be back. So, a couple of weeks later, when my aunt went into town, her home's back window was broken, and a bottle of burning oil and gas was thrown into her home. By the time the fire department finally arrived, the home was a complete loss, and every dog and possibly ex-husband killing shotgun and firearm my aunt owned, along with all her other worldly possessions, were in incinerated the home was a total loss along with the chicken coop etc the neighbors didn't see anything and the sheriff's department couldn't prove anything my aunt had a long list of enemies she didn't work and so was too poor and lazy to have her homeowner insurance so she had to move and her son eventually bought her a cheap rundown trailer in town those of us who knew my aunt figured she got what she deserved moral of the story don't screw with a mountain man's dog. There we go. Emphatic, but very justified revenge there. Brilliant stuff. If you've got a problem in your life and you know a way that you can deal with it and get that problem gone forever, then do it. And it seems like you did. I'll be completely honest. I'm kind of surprised that you didn't go any further and cause actual harm onto her yourself. As I've said multiple times, I've never owned dogs or proper pets. I don't want to be harsh on my own pets, but you guys know what I mean. So I, I can't speak on the bond that you have with your pet. But from what I've heard and from what you guys are going to tell me in the comments down below, if your dog was to be shot by your neighbor for no reason at all, I mean, come on, killing a chicken 
yeah, they're dogs. What do you expect? Then I think a lot of you out there listening and watching right now would have done a lot worse of things than simply burning down your neighbor's house. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, now moving on to number seven. And of course, there has to be a post in this top 10 from r slash best of Redditor updates. For me, probably my favorite subreddit of the year. I don't think that I'd actually heard of it in 2022, at least before this year. And yeah, it's kind of blown me away. I've loved it. The reason I love it so much and the reason why I think you guys love it as well is because finally we get updates to these stories. For so long, I'd read a great post and be kind of happy with it, but also wanting more at the end, not knowing what was gonna happen next. But that is the beauty of this subreddit. Every story has a conclusion and so does this one. Again, another serious one, another crazy one, really. But uh, yeah, here we go. I am at a loss as to what to do with my wife's request. My wife and I have been married since 2001 and been together since 1999. She is the most intelligent, thoughtful, caring, loyal person I know. And I've always thought of myself as fortunate to have met and married her. She is, even today, aesthetically beautiful. And men have told her this throughout our marriage. She's always shot them down. Now, earlier this year, she was diagnosed with uterine cancer, stage one, and had a full hysterectomy. I was never concerned about the cancer. It was diagnosed early, dealt with quickly, and she made a full recovery. I took time off work to look after her after the surgery, and all seemed well. There were some to be expected emotional instances on her parts, and although I am not an emotional person, we dealt with them together. After her recovery, she was insistent that we start living life to the fullest, and took a 10-day trip to Europe, followed by a trip to Belize. We also have a trip to the UK and Spain and Portugal later this year. Now I'm fine with these things, building memories and crossing bucket list adventures off of her and our list. I also understand that these are a result of feeling fragile on her part. She also took up yoga, swimming and healthy cooking classes. I was fully on board until last week. Last week, she came home from work and told me she wanted a hall pass, a one-time opportunity for her to have sex with someone else besides me she said that since her cancer diagnosis her outlook on life has changed and she doesn't want to be handcuffed from doing things she wants to do she explained that there's a guy at her work that she's always had some attraction to he is leaving the company and she'll never see him again so this is the perfect opportunity to sleep with someone else she said that i could say no of course but that she would be mad and disappointed at me for an indeterminate amount of time and that it would be confirmation of my male toxicity and insecurity i don't consider myself to be toxic and if not wanting your wife of 20 plus years to have sex with someone else is insecure then guess i'm insecure i told her that i appreciated her talking to me about this but approval via coercion is not approval i also said that i do not appreciate her language in describing my as of yet unknown reaction to this very large issue that could affect the rest of our marriage and life I got up in the morning and she basically said that she was sorry for putting such a large decision solely on my shoulders and that to help she was taking the decision away from me 
She booked a hotel near where her co-workers are having a party slash send off for this guy And she would spend the night there with him and hope that I would be here when she got back That she would answer any questions I have about the night after it happened, but not before She would not tell me who he is or anything about him because she knows me too well And that I will dwell and obsess over him and that would make it too real for me Which is pretty accurate Her POV is that the less I know the better which contradicts the offer to tell me anything I want to know after it happened I think she knows I won't want to know or ask anything or she simply just won't tell me Part of me thinks at least she's been honest with me and she's been through a lot since finding out she had cancer So maybe I should just let it happen I certainly have no concept of what she went through So I cannot dismiss how this affected her mental state or outlook on life Part of me wants to put my foot down and say this is not going to happen and deal with those consequences when they happen Her bff called me callous for even suggesting that I wouldn't let it happen because I have no idea what she went through I find it hard to believe that she is okay with the possibility of throwing away 20 plus years of marriage Over some guy that she's had no relationship with outside of work and that I should just call her bluff Maybe she thinks similarly that I won't throw away the marriage because of one encounter I just don't know what to do. I empathize with her and then an instant later I'm angry with her part of me wants to know who this guy is. What does he look like? What has he got that is so enthralling for her? Is he just a safe option? Is he married? Does his wife know would I be a callous jerk for saying no? What can I do besides walking away? Okay now Where do we even begin? Now, of course, this is best of Redditor updates, so we're going to get a lot more content here. But off the rip, I've got to say, what a load of absolute rubbish. I know multiple people, you know, multiple couples in which one of them has gone through cancer and they survive. And they don't just then go, you know what? Yeah, I've survived this. I'm not going to go around shagging like, you know, like a legend. They just don't do that. It's very abnormal. Now, the whole part about, about your wife Ticking things off your and her collective bucket list is great, you know, traveling, making her realize and making you guys realize that life is short, it can end at any moment. It's good to do things you want to do whilst you have the chance to do them. Completely fine until you get to having sex with one of your co workers, forcing your husband to be okay with it. That's probably a little bit too far. At that point, I think, how about just end the marriage and move on with your life? It's just very, very strange. What, what I love the most, and by love, I mean just c- cannot get at all. Is her saying, no, you have to let me do this because by the way, I had cancer and therefore you have to let me cheat on you. It's on you. Like her saying, you know, what, I'm just going to take the decision out of your hands. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll, I'll just take the decision out of your hands. Don't worry about me. It's so great. I love it. Nonetheless, let's carry on and, and, and let's get into this comment, which was posted on the original, which I think is really, really good. Kind of think this is the way your marriage will be from now on. With her epiphany, she wants to relive her life and she's going to do it regardless of your feelings. I think she's being rather selfish and probably only threatens this because she thinks you are beaten down and will simply put up with it. Perhaps not the best time for trips and frills. She wants a single life. Let her see what that means. I agree. I feel like, you know, obviously it's very, very tough for you. And I completely understand what you're going through in the sense that you say that one second, you're like, no way am I ever going to let her do this. I'm going to call her bluff, go and do it. She won't. And then the the next you're like, oh, well, I do love her so much. And she did also have cancer. That's going to be very mentally taxing. Oh, by the way, I'm not for one second saying that I know what that's like or how it feels or I can empathize with that in any way. I obviously can't. But I agree with this commenter. It gets to a stage where you've got to just say to her, yeah, obviously you're not allowed to do this. I don't care. And also, what's your best friend saying about you can't not let her do this? She had cancer. Again, 
terrible friend. Sorry, very obvious. You just have to, you have to call her bluff. You have to just say, you know what, this is gonna hurt me, but go and do it. And if you do it, that's the end. It is weird though, 20 plus years of marriage and that, wow. Now OP has actually replied to a couple of comments from the original saying this, she thinks because she'll never see this guy again and that I've never met him, supposedly, that it won't really affect me or our marriage in the long term. I'm left with accepting it and never viewing her the same way again or going through a divorce at 54. Not really great options on either front. That is a very fair point. I don't know where her head is and the bout with cancer is affecting her in ways that I couldn't possibly imagine. I don't think she believes I will leave. There we go. I mean, you've pretty much said exactly what I think there. You have to test that though. If she doesn't think that you'll leave, you have to actually leave and then see what her reaction is. Because then if she goes and does this thing anyway, you know that sadly, very, very sad and painfully, though it may be, it was the right decision for you to do that because otherwise you'd just be a massive cuck. Uh, and secondly, you have to test her. You just have to because she can't just get away with stuff like this for the rest of your life together because even if you do stay together, you'll just be miserable. So unfortunately, that is the only thing you can really do. Now, let's get in to the update that was posted just a few days later. I received a ton of advice that I couldn't possibly respond to. I do appreciate the people who took time to offer advice in the comments all via PM. It's been an exhausting couple of days. I was hoping that my opposition to her plans would give her pause, but unfortunately that did not happen. I said I am a hard no, and I'm not sure how I will feel about you if you go ahead with it. I was met once again with, this is for me, it will be one time, what can I say to help you deal with it? You'll get over it. We were meant to be regardless of the situation. Remarks leading up to Saturday. Some of the most selfish words there that I've ever heard. Despite the fact that this woman went through cancer. At this point, I honestly don't really care. That's insane. So she left on Saturday ostensibly to meet her co-workers. But in reality, to screw the guy. I asked her to text me when she was leaving for the bar, and when she did, I asked her if she was really going to go through with this. After her response was this, I'm not answering any more questions tonight, I will see you tomorrow, I blocked my wife. Then, I did something either stupid or brilliant. I went to the bar where the get-together was happening. You know what, I love this. Well, not the bar, but a transit bench across the street. I waited for a long time. It was running through my mind leading up to this event that I need to know who this guy was. Maybe to compare myself against him. To see what he had that I do not. It was driving me crazy not knowing who he was and what was so special about him that she would ruin a marriage for. After what seemed like an eternity, a woman that I recognized from my wife's office left the bar and got in a cap. Soon, other people started filing out and a whole group came out and people were hugging a man and shaking his hand. I assumed that I had my guy. I didn't see my wife and I had a brief thought that maybe she had called it off. I unblocked her, but there were no messages. Everyone said their goodbyes and left. The dude was standing outside for a few minutes and then my wife came out. She looked around, took his hand and they started walking away together. Of all the emotions I went through, trepidation, sadness, anger, it was disgust that really encapsulated the event for me. This guy was short, fat and bald all the things i cannot compete with ultimately i felt like a pervert for watching from a distance i followed until they got to the hotel and then turned around and went home i woke up sunday morning and put a lock on the master bedroom door i moved her things to the spare room and left a note asking her to find another accommodation as quickly as possible 
I visited another friend who's a lawyer and he gave me some sage advice and a couple of recommendations for divorce attorneys and made the introductions. My wife has been calling me numerous times since around 11 or so. Once blocked, the calls go to voicemail. I listened to the first couple but felt nothing but some satisfaction when she couldn't get through to me and she was obviously becoming concerned. I didn't want to go home, but I left in such a hurry that I didn't plan overnight properly. I got home around nine and as per my buddy's advice, I recorded the interaction. I was halfway up the stairs when she came up from the family room asking what was going on. Could we talk? I thought we talked about this. I just answered with I am not interested in discussing this tonight and went to bed. After not getting a response from me through the door, she left me alone. I feel kind of like a child for not talking with her and shutting the door on her, but I just couldn't look at her. Monday, I got up and ready for work. She was waiting for me and asked if we could discuss getting back to normal. I said, you've been doing all the talking for the both of us for the last week. Why don't you just continue? And I left for work. I have an appointment with the attorneys that my friend recommended for this week. And there we go, guys. That is the end of that one. I I don't really know quite what to make about this story because I feel like we've just encountered one of the most stupid women of all time. She is surprised when her husband of 20 years is annoyed at her because she cheated on him. Not just with anyone, but with a, a short, fat, bald man. I mean, does it get any worse? Look, I'm all for short kings and bald kings and also fat kings. What a trifecta that is. Listen, if you're short, bald and fat, get in the comments down below. Are you this bloke? I want to know. Now, one thing I will say before getting myself in trouble is that there is another comment here that I want to highlight because I think it's a very good comment that kind of in all seriousness encapsulates my thoughts. Here it is. I can only hope that you've decided to do what's best for you. At the end of the day, you're the one that has to live with your decisions. From the previous post, it's obvious that your wife, and I use that term merely as a placeholder, has made her decision. I know that having something that has been such a huge part of your life end can be daunting, but sometimes it's for the best. And yeah, I think this time it absolutely is for the best. You clearly made the right decision. Your wife's dumb and she's also unfaithful. What a terrible, terribly potent combination. Good stuff, OP. Now moving on to number six in this list. This one comes from r slash entitled parents and I had to include this one because it includes just horrible, horrible, disgusting people, which unfortunately r slash entitled parents is full of. Yeah, we saw a funny one earlier with a Florida man and a fake alligator, but this is what entitled parents is really about. Here we go. They called me a baby factory, so now they'll never see me again. I want to say first, I had a difficult childhood, but not because of them. I was a happy kid who had friends and was kinda adjusted, but we were poor. We jumped across the US about twice and my siblings and father were all disabled in different ways. My youngest sibling and dad were hard of hearing and my youngest sister had brain and back injuries due to Chiari malformation. Look it up, it's actually a very interesting disease. Ah, it's a condition where the lower part of the brain pushes down into the spinal canal. Well, I must say that sounds truly terrible. But when things started really changing was when I was in high school, around my junior year of school. I met a dude and we were best friends, then we dated. Newsflash, he was a terrible person. It ended in me and my sister getting a restraining order against him and both my siblings seeing and hearing things about me they should never have been exposed to. I graduated high school even though I probably shouldn't have with my grades. I'm pretty sure my teachers just pitied me. And then after like a month, I got diagnosed with ADHD, anxiety and depression. Go figure, who could have guessed? I get on Adderall and it works great. 
for one day. Then it devolved into me having all day panic attacks, vivid and extreme hallucinations, massive problems with an eating disorder, and an inability to control any emotion. It led me to backhanding my youngest sibling over a dispute involving the dishwasher that I still to this day would do anything to reverse if I could. I don't remember that three months or so, period. I've blocked out most of the memories because they were so mentally and emotionally taxing that just thinking about that makes me depressed. But at the time, I really thought that my parents were doing everything they could to help me through that time. They could have done more, but I reasoned they were working and didn't have all the time in the world to baby me, so I should handle this myself. Eventually, all by myself, I decided to go cold turkey and went through withdrawals which were almost as hellish as the actual meds themselves. Looking back now, I realized that the only way my parents could have been more hands off were if they'd packed their bags and moved out. They didn't talk to me about anything. They didn't help me keep track of symptoms. When I attacked my siblings, they didn't protect them from me or me from myself. Now as a 22 year old on new meds, my doctor just within the last month looked at my old records and was appalled because they started me as an 18 year old who was very new to meds and sensitive to them at a dose for grown adults well into their Adderall usage. She told me they started me off at around 25 milligrams when she normally prescribes around five to 10 for new users. So they didn't advocate for me at all during this mentally traumatic time immediately after being traumatized for almost a year. They took me to a therapist who noticed I was writing a story with an obvious self-insert and very influenced storylines from my day-to-day life. When she asked to see my drawings and everything, the next time my mother pulled me from therapy, saying something I still remember to this day. I didn't send you here so she could ask you about your stories. I sent you here so she can talk about how your ex messed you up. She's not doing this fast enough. Well, come the end of summer, and even though I was still struggling with leaving the house just for a Walmart trip, they sent me to school for college across the state and basically wiped their hands clean of me. I went into survival mode. I believed my parents were right and I needed this, so I did my best to fake it till I made it. I shouldn't have been there, but in the long run, it was what saved me. My friends I met there are some of the people who I've chosen as family, and I met my current fiance while there through friends. Funnily enough, I wasn't allowed off campus. Even though my parents lived about two and a half hours away and wouldn't have known otherwise, it took convincing from one of my friends to go about two hours in another direction, and that's where I met my fiance. My parents really don't like Connor, but they did like the free labor he did for them and how mature he was to keep me in line for them. Now they could pawn off the driving around and emotions on him because they never bothered to teach me how to drive or get a job or regulate my emotions. Connor could do all of that quite well though, so they let him teach it to me. But whenever the idea of him got brought up as my boyfriend, they would clam up. They did not want me to date anyone, not after my ex. I thought it was them just worrying about me after a traumatic period and I was grateful for it. Connor helped us move like five times. He did free things for my parents all the time and he was nothing but respectful the entire time he's known them. But eventually they moved to the same city I was going to college in and I was going through a hard patch again. COVID had hit at the end of my freshman year and now they were living here in my college town and I started half online school for my sophomore year. Living with my parents again was hell. I was used to at this point living in a dorm and I wanted to come and go as I pleased. My friends got me rides and I fought and fought and fought to get a job until one day I applied anyways and started working at a McDonald's. I was doing terribly in school. I didn't want to be in it anymore. 
Distance learning was difficult for me and they weren't doing anything to help me. I was slowly becoming suicidal again and I wanted nothing more than to find my own place. During this time, my dad was constantly working overtime. And one day when I was probably at my lowest, he made a joke that he was picking up all the overtime just to get away from you. I still remember it clear as day. I was mentally declining and becoming more and more erratic as time passes because I was spiraling again and they just sat by and watched it happen while continuously judging me, making backhanded comments as I did. All the way up to this point, I was not known for fashion or hygiene. I was constantly self-conscious and didn't have control of my ADHD, so I was never one to doll myself up. But me and Connor were going to go on a date, so I grabbed my prettiest dress, some tights, and my favorite flats, and did my hair all nice, and I even tried makeup. I felt so pretty, and Connor was showering me with texts filled with compliments as he was on his way to pick me up. My mum and siblings got there first. My mum took one look at me and told me to go change. She burst out laughing and was hysterical over my outfits. She couldn't calm down. And the reason she was laughing is because I'm a big chested girl and I'd gained weight as of recently because my eating disorder was flipping from anorexia to binge eating. None of my clothes fit me. I was in tears and I just put on my normal jeans and hoodie in almost 80 degree weather and I ran to Connor's car in tears. They kept trying to call me back into the house, but I just had to drive off without speaking to them. I didn't stay the night at their house for almost two days. Mum spent that first night texting me that I was overreacting and that none of the clothes fit me. And yes, she could have been nicer, but honestly, I need to be realistic about my fashion if I'm going to attempt it. If you couldn't tell by this point, my mum had picked out almost every piece of clothing I owned. And because I wasn't anorexic anymore, she was very upset whenever I showed skin. Day-to-day life was getting worse by the day, but eventually I opened commissions. I posted it on Facebook for family and nobody replied, but my estranged grandmother on my mum's side asking for an insanely difficult piece. I draw mostly pretty women in specific poses with pens or pencils, and that's it especially back then. But she asked for a landscape drawing of her childhood home and a realistic watercolor drawing that she didn't have any reference of and hadn't seen since she was a kid. It was easily worth close to 150 bucks, maybe more because I'm terrible with commission prices. But I offered it for 60 bucks. My mother asked if I was serious. I told her that one, I disliked this woman to the point of purposefully not contacting her for almost a decade at that point. And two, this was so far out of my comfort zone that I would have to learn new skills just to make it. And it's more than half off. Then my dad texted me asking if I was serious. It devolved into a peeing contest on who can be colder and how fast I could move out. I wasn't pleasant. I'll be the first to admit that I was mentally unstable and lashing out at everyone. But I was also still a child recovering from the toll of drugs that I was overprescribed and their emotional indifference during a freaking pandemic. I emergency moved in with my fiance, then boyfriend and our friend who introduced us and I didn't speak to them for a week. This is the beginning of their pattern that they pull literally to this day regardless of the situation. They finally texted me back after about a week, week and a half and acted as if nothing had happened. They hadn't kicked me out. I hadn't fought with them for days at that point and we hadn't exchanged some of the meanest glances and short phrases of our lives to each other. They wanted to talk about the football game and trivial things in their lives. I didn't know what else to do. It was my family and they were giving me the pass to be let back in after I'd mentally prepared myself to be shunned forever at this point. 
Of course, I took the olive branch. Maybe we'd speak about this in the future and laugh at how stuck up we'd been. It could all change for the better, maybe. Me and my fiance lived there for a year or so before we contemplated moving to the town we'd met in and he grew up in. His whole family was there and our current apartment was crawling with drug dealers, people stalking us for his old car and people taking poops in the hallway. Sounds lovely. It was only an idea at that point, nothing concrete. But when I floated the idea to my dad one day when he was driving me home, he went on a rant about how I would become a baby factory for Connor if I moved away from my support system. And his family would turn me into their pawn because I was frankly too mentally weak of a person to not be swayed by them. This is your own father saying this to you. Wow. He went on for a long time and dumped a lot of info and at random talked about how he kind of regretted having me and my siblings because he had us so young and he regrets moving across the country like we did because of money problems. I asked him if he just told us that he regrets having us and living in this state and he went, I did not just say that. Don't put words in my mouth. I went into my apartment and sobbed for a good few hours. Connor was fuming, but was optimistic because at least he was talking. We both wrote off the bad parts and tried to move forward, hoping that this meant that he'd be open to talking more often in the future. We moved to my fiance's old home and things were fine for a while. The longer I didn't live next to my family, the more I realized that I mentally couldn't handle them anymore. They'd been so mean and gaslighting. Slowly but surely, I was feeding my parents an info diet and I was placing my boundaries. There were a lot of mean-spirited comments thrown my way They used Connor for more labor during this time than keeping him at arm's length and refusing to acknowledge that we were serious and looking to move in together. Nothing of significance happened for about a year and a half until within the last year. So it's 2022 now and me and Connor have lived together for most of the three or so years we've been together. We're living in our own home. I'm working two jobs and we're both happy. Stressed, but happy. Mum texts in our group chat that she wants me to give up my jobs and move back to their town to become a mailman like my dad. She swears that it's a government job with government pay and benefits and it's the best I can do as a college dropout who's working two jobs. I replied back that I was making almost $1,300 a paycheck with both jobs and I just moved into my house and that the town she lived in was absolutely terrible. Remember my old apartments? That's all that's available there. And I wasn't keen on moving back now that I lived in a three bed house that's completely quiet and all my own. Well, she responds by calling me four times in one day, spam texted the group chat and spams my DMs, sending Connor multiple texts and then calling me again. I spent two days ignoring her before I finally replied. I answered her calls and she spent almost the entire time during a 15 minute call that I put on speakerphone for Connor to listen to quietly, trying to manipulate me by calling me again, a college dropout and telling me that I'm not happy there. I'm so far away from family and there's no point in living there, especially since my jobs were working me to death and they had nowhere near the benefits that this mail carrier job has as a government job. I didn't have the hearts or the verbal space to tell her that the US Postal Service is in fact not a government identity. It was privately owned. I did though tell her that all of those benefits I wouldn't need until I was 26 anyway. I had all of the supposed benefits from my dad also having the same job. She though glossed over that and talked over me to try and explain how miserable I was in that town. I told her I had to go and I hung up. Thanksgiving comes. My entire extended aunts and uncles on my dad's side come and stay with us. Things are looking good and I'm having fun with my family for once. 
Then I overheard my mum whispering to my uncle that her entire personality is just Connor. She's got no semblance of self anymore, and she even moved away to just become Connor's girl. My uncle didn't react or say anything, but I had to hide away to compose myself because I almost went nuclear and lost my mind. Okay, another time skip, and now we're in the present and getting closer to the end of our story. Connor proposed to me the day before Christmas Eve, surrounded by his incredibly loving family, by putting my ring in my stocking, and it was beautiful. The first person I called was my best friend, and then the second was my mother. It was close to 1 a.m. around this time, and I got her on the phone. I told her I knew it was late, but I was engaged. She told me, though, in no uncertain terms. Honey, that's amazing, but... Don't text in the family group chat or anything because your dad's asleep and he has to get up at 5 a.m. Congrats, I'm going back to bed. Neither of them contacted me about my engagement for almost a week until I went back for their Christmas. I went with my best friend and the entire time my family talked down to me. They misremembered my size and instead of apologizing, they insisted that I didn't know my size and that I was indeed an XXL. I'm a medium to large. And they started the night off by mum mentioning my engagements only once. It started off with my mum suddenly in the middle of things going good and everyone laughing. She starts cackling and goes, Oh, your dad and his friend had the funniest thing to say about your engagement. Dad, show her the text. Dad just smiles and he starts giggling too. My siblings laugh along with them. Dad says, Oh, Amir just thought it was nuts that you were engaged because you're so young. I asked to see the text. Maybe I misunderstood him. There had to be something funny based on their reactions because that was very much not funny at all, especially when I had my best friend sitting right there, listening. If anything, that was embarrassing. I read the text and it goes something like this. Dad's friend says, Dude, she's engaged? That's nuts. She's too young and she's going into this way too quickly. Dad replies, I know. I'm upset and struggling right now because my kids are all forcing themselves to grow up when they aren't ready to. And it's hard to stand by and watch them crash and burn like they inevitably will and do nothing about it. I just smiled because while they all laughed and giggled about how funny that was, I was struggling to not burst into tears and scream at them. My friend pulled me aside and asked multiple times if we should leave. At the time, I was using their car. But I told her, no, I was going to play nice until I could give it back. And then once it was in their hands again, I was going to go no contact. Connor was supposed to come down and see them and spend Christmas with them, but he couldn't face them knowing that this is what they willingly showed us, especially after Thanksgiving. After this, I bought a car, my first car that's all mine, and I got their car back to them just last week. I'm putting my life together. I'm learning how to do the beginning of adult things well past when I should have. I learned to drive, pay bills, budget and spend, and how to exist all from my fiance. I had to forcibly teach myself how to manage my own mental health with the help of my fiance and friends. I'm done making up excuses as to why I need them in my life. I don't want to deal with the body shaming, the classist behavior, the looking down on Connor for no reason. I can't handle it anymore. I called my uncle, the one from Thanksgiving, and explained to him my decisions, and he immediately told me he supports me and that my parents don't know how to treat us like adults, that I'm not a screw-up, and that was the first time in my life that I realized my parents had conditioned me into thinking I was, in fact, a screw-up. So, mum or dad, or anyone in the family, if you find this, these are the reasons why I blocked everyone's numbers and deleted Messenger. 
why me and connor have our statements and info ready for you when you send a welfare check to tell them to leave us alone i'm gonna get married and you won't be there i won't let you be there if i have a child you won't see them I don't care how much you cry and make me feel like I did something wrong. I am not a bad person for being screwed up. And the things you hold over my head were things I did as a drugged up child. A child that you should have protected and should have protected my siblings from. Screw you and screw all of your attempts at communication that you never did but say you have. Thank you to anyone who read this. I really just needed to yell. When they eventually find out that I cut them off because I gave them no warning beforehand, I just dipped after the car was no longer in my hands, they're gonna freak out. If anything memorable happens, I'll make an update, but probably not. Well, guys, good news. There is, an, I mean, I say good news. Sorry, I've got to stop myself there. Is it good news? I'm pretty much saying there is an update and we're gonna get straight into it after I give my immediate comments on what I've just read, which was absolutely bamboozling. But hey, listen, if you're on YouTube, comment down below. Is it good news there's an update for us? I mean, is that a bit weird, almost predatory? kind of preying on someone's downfall on op's mishaps and their horrible family coming back into their life so we get an extended episode and more of a story i'm not sure i'm not sure where i stand on it but anyway we're gonna get into the update in just a second however i need to just talk about that story for for just a hot minute because i can't believe the level of i don't even know the word to use there because there are so many potential words we can go with entitled but that just seems far too basic I think just malicious, manipulative, downright awful, 100% narcissistic, heathens? That is just a few words I would use to describe your horrible parents. What an absolute disgrace they are. Now, what I will say, and obviously I'm saying this before we get into the update, it looks as if you have, by this point in your life, pretty much gotten rid of them. You say right at the end there that they're not even going to know what's hit them, and you have pretty much sack them off. They're not going to go to your wedding, not going to meet your child. And that is amazing. The best revenge is a life well lived. And look, you just know for sure that if they see you, you know what? It doesn't even matter. I was going to say, you know, they're going to be jealous and they're going to be like, oh, we made such a mistake. But ultimately, you're not even going to care about that because you're going to be doing your own thing and forgetting about how toxic those people are. And it sounds like you're on the path of that, which is truly amazing. However, as I said, there is an update and I really hope that things continue on in a good vein. I haven't read ahead, so I don't know what's going to happen here. I'm pretty nervous, to be honest. I hope it's good. Anyway, here is that update. Let's get into it. Hi again, everyone. It's been about a month since my 2am pity party. I want to say thank you for the overwhelming support that I received on my other post. Especially the person who mentioned that my parents were fine with abusing me, but not my siblings since they were physically unwell rather than mentally unwell like me. That one hit home probably harder than any other comment. I didn't think of it that way, but honestly, it was something someone probably should have said. I'd like to apologize for how rambly and long the last post was. I was in the middle of a panic attack and I've been ignoring calls and texts from them for days. I felt like a horrible person and was gaslighting myself into almost going into contact with them again. Oh my gosh, OP, that's awful. The post was more for myself to understand and write out all the mean things they've done so that I could look back and be like, wow, they really reduced me to that. Ha. <sighs> but for the actual update, I returned their car to them and after that, I vanished. I blocked all of my family's phone numbers, but left my siblings unblocked and open on all social media. I didn't want their numbers to be used to contact me unless it was actually them. Their numbers have since been unblocked. My parents didn't really notice at first. 
I got a text from mum saying that she was trying as hard as she could I was just pulling away and she doesn't know why I might post some of the screenshots of my conversations with them sometime in the future So you can all marvel at how self-centered they are It was mostly mum for a bit nothing really from dad Then one day she texts that she was going to give me space because I wasn't talking to them for some reason And she ceased all contact after that. It was quiet for about a week Then dad started calling me my phone shows me the caller id and the time they called but blocks the call itself So I got to see almost every morning for about a week or so that I had a missed call from him Then he started texting me and he tried to use the age-old tactic of intimidation to get me to talk to him It was mostly just you better answer the phone right now Then he'd call a bunch But he finally sent a text about a week ago being cryptic about how I wouldn't know about stuff till after it happened And if I was going to act like a child, these were the consequences I kind of just rolled my eyes and didn't respond It turns out after skimming the family group chat He's been diagnosed with pretty bad carpal tunnel syndrome in both of his hands And a severe lower back injury they've yet to figure out He also suffers from a myriad of other illnesses right now But he still forces himself to work 60 plus hours a week as a postal carrier So I don't know what he expects to be honest. This might make me a bad person But I didn't really care if it had been about my siblings I would have probably jumped on the phone and been freaking out But I don't really hold any feelings besides resentment confusion and anger with my parents So this news didn't really faze me. I don't blame you In better news, Connor has received a few raises due to county regulations being changed and I now also have a job with the county. I'll be moving on to my own insurance and finally moving on to it without worrying about contact. I also learned right about that time that my parents had taken out five different loans in my name to pay for college, all varying up to about $12,000. They did not explain this with me at all and had apparently been paying them all for the last three years. So I have credit, I guess, when I thought I didn't. So yippee. I have to figure out a way to transfer it into my name and figure out the logistics. But yeah, that's a thing now. My siblings haven't contacted me. The middle one is incredibly angry with my behavior and wants me to contact my mum at least. I've just avoided the topic with her. My other sibling, I can't honestly tell you how they feel, but they apparently plan to move to a big city about four hours away for college in the coming years. So let's hope they go through the same transformation I did. And that's honestly about it. Lots of weird texts that they did nothing but stress themselves out with. And my financial situation is looking up. We also bought a dog recently. Her name is Mandy and our other dog, Copper, is still getting used to her. So my days are occupied mostly with taking care of a German shepherd puppy who body slams me awake at 6am every day. I hope everyone has a great day and thank you all again for the wonderful and supportive comments on my last post. Phew, sigh of relief from me because let me tell you, I was very concerned that we were going to get a very long and horrible update, but that is pretty good. As you say, hopefully at some point soon, your siblings will see the light, maybe when they get to the stage of your life that you were in. I mean, as you mentioned, your parents gaslit you for so long, you actually thought that you were the problem. It wouldn't surprise me if your siblings are feeling the same way or at least the same way about you. Imagine having your parents telling you, you know, for years, this sibling is disgusting, only to then realize later on in life that actually, no, they were just actually gaslighting that sibling the entire time. And I've been thinking the wrong thing because my parents all those years i've been influenced in the worst way possible i would not blame your siblings if they had that mindset until they move out and realize what's really going on as for you op i've just got to say how strong 
And yeah, you might say it's a bit cringy, guys. I don't really care, right? Elite from OP. Just put yourself in that position. And maybe some of you watching and listening right now are, or at least were, in that position in your childhood and teenage years. I, for one, I'm not sure if I'll be able to cope. Maybe it just becomes your reality and you can deal with it. But going through all the stuff that OP went through and coming out of it like this is pretty unbelievable, I've got to say. Now moving on to number five. And just like r slash best of, I feel like we had to include a post from r slash am I the jerk. Another one of my favorite subreddits this year that has absolutely blown up in popularity. The post that I've chosen for this one is probably a little bit different to the majority that you see on the subreddit. It becomes quite wholesome, but I don't wanna give anything away. I think it's just an important post and that's why I've included it. Probably one of the most important r slash am I the jerk stories or questions that I've read out. Here we go. Am I the jerk for how I, a 37-year-old man, reacted to my son, who is 17, coming out to me? So, I've always known that my son had an interest in men. He was slow on the pickup of incognito mode, and from the searches he made, I figured he was at least bi-curious, if that's the proper term for it, since he hit puberty. Well, last year, he started bringing a boy around, and it was obvious they were dating. To the point I figured that he knew I knew and it wasn't a big deal to anyone. Well, apparently I was wrong. After school yesterday, he and his boyfriend came up to me and said there was something really important they needed to tell me. My son said that they were dating and had been for a year. Well, I was surprised that he wasn't aware I knew and was a bit thrown off. My mouth moved faster than my brain and I said, well, that's pretty freaking gay. Now, I thought it was peak comedy since it is in fact gay. However, I understand using the word gay in that way gives it a very negative undertone, hence the mouth faster than brain comments. Now, my son and I are usually pretty edgy with our humor, this being fairly tame stuff for the stuff we normally joke about. While probably not appropriate for this situation, it wasn't not our norm for a conversation between us. However, he and his boyfriend were very, very upset and left. I'm probably the jerk, but I thought I would check and see if you all had some advice on what I can say to fix it. He currently won't respond to my texts or calls. Okay, guys, I think what I'm about to say is going to be very, very controversial. Now, it's not the first time on this channel that I've said something controversial and you have all disagreed with me in the comments down below. But what I will say is that I think this is just a tough spot. I don't think that this man, OP, has necessarily acted maliciously or has done something on purpose to hurt his son or anything like that. I genuinely think he's just made a very, very bad mistake in this one instance. And I don't think that he's understood his son really as much as he probably thinks he has. Now, look, stay with me on this. And by all means, get in the comments down below and tell me that I'm just barking up the complete wrong tree and that what he's done is terrible. I'm not saying it's not, by the way. I'm just saying, with the context of knowing this son's relationship with his dad or or this relationship entirely and knowing that it's, you know, pretty tongue-in-cheek, they like dark humor, they seem to have a lot of banter together in general, I can understand why in that split second it it just came out. You know, the fact of the matter is, his son being gay is so obvious to his dad that he was just like, why are you even telling me that? And I think that is why he did this. Now, Obviously, it's a terrible thing to have said um, and just just not the right moment to have done this at all or even made a joke about this. And given everything we know, the the history of, of, of homophobia and the fact that the word gay has just been used very, very poorly for generations over the years. 
yeah, it's a, it's an awful thing to have said, but I just think it's just come out. I don't think it necessarily says anything about this man and that he's homophobic or is against his son being gay or anything like that. I just think it's it's just come out. And do we have to like, hammer him for that? I don't know. It's not great. And I'm not on his side here. I'm just saying I can kind of understand why in that split second he just said it because he has that sort of rapport and chat with his son. He's like, what? Yeah, obviously I know you're gay. It's been obvious to me for over a year, for years. But yeah, obviously if he could have that moment again, I'm sure he wouldn't do this sort of thing. And for for his son and, and his boyfriend, yeah, it's absolutely shocking. I'm not saying that's not. But hey, listen, you get in the comments down below. Tell me I'm just barking up the complete wrong tree. But yeah, it's a controversial opinion. Now, I may not be phrasing this exactly how I'd like to. And again, like it's, I don't even need to say that it's a terrible thing to have said. And like, you know, we're past that point. Obviously, this is not how this kid wanted his dad to react when he came out to him. Like, it's a shocking thing to have said. And I'm not surprised that he's in a terrible mood and is not speaking to you, ignoring your calls, etc., etc. That is, there's not even, not even any point of even, you know, wondering why that is the case or saying, is that the right reaction? It's obvious. However, let me get this comment up on screen because I think this kind of explains a little bit better what I'm trying to say. So this user has said, you're the jerk for the wording. I won't lie, as someone who's been out and proud for years, that joke made me laugh my butt off, but your son needed support more than humor. In the grand scheme of things though, I was expecting much worse from the title. Okay, fair enough. So I think if you just apologize and explain that you meant it in a humorous way and that you fully accept him and his partner, you and your son will be fine. Uh, you know, there it is. I think that's fine. What I'm trying to say is, I don't think it's like a crazy homophobic sort of slur. And I know I'm going on here, but yeah, this can be this can be resolved for sure. It looks like you have a little bit of a jokey relationship with your son in any way, and it's just not the moment to do it, but it's not the end of the world. Have a sit down with the lad and tell him, look, son, I'll be honest, I did have my my intuition that I thought you, you, you probably were gay. And that's why I said this. I do apologize though and I support you so much and I, I fully am behind the fact that, that you're gay or you know, whatever whatever sexuality you subscribe to it's completely fine with me I'll live forever I mean clearly I'm not a dad but um, yeah just make sure he knows that you support him that's all you need to do now we're getting into the big boys number four was heavily requested by you guys I did a community post and a lot of you said when I asked what are your favorite stories from the entire year you said these ones now this is actually a collection of three separate videos but they're all related it's part one part two part three the amazing thing about this series and I'm sure a lot of you already know what this is is that I think there have actually been more updates after this that's something that I'm gonna have to look out for in the new year. But nonetheless, for now, this had to be in the top 10 and it had to be as high as number four. Enjoy this entitled parents trifecta. Parents told my brother that he could take my house and I could just live in the camper in the backyard because I'm single and he has a wife and kids. I want everyone here that this is going to be very long. I also really don't care who believes this. It's just so crazy that I don't blame anyone who calls BS. I won't argue about it, but this happened to me. I also really don't care if anyone in my family sees this. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything, but I'm also not going to reveal any details that would clue anyone into who I am that doesn't already know me. I'm a single man in my early 30s. I've got a brother who's 29 and he's already got four kids. He had his first at 22 and the second followed a year later, then the third two years after that. And the fourth was born recently just a couple of months ago. His wife, my sister-in-law and I do not get along as she always likes to try and get a rise out of me by acting superior. Then 
then she turns into an extreme self-victimizing drama queen if i retaliate against her in any way she can cry in an instant and can put on an extremely convincing show to get sympathy from just about anyone my parents and brother absolutely adore her even though they know exactly how she really is but they just don't care she is very good looking i'll give her that but she's so awful that i could never really be attracted to her she also refuses to get any sort of job even though she has a college degree and my mother willingly helps with the kids all day so the finances are entirely dependent on my brother this also means they can't afford to live anywhere but my parents house and privacy is a bit of an issue with all of them under one roof in a three-bedroom house that was built in the 60s growing up my younger brother was also the obvious favorite we're three years apart in age but he developed a superiority complex because i was badly punished if i retaliated against his antics in any way back then It was obvious that my parents cared for him a lot more because he got the lion's share of everything unless people called them out on it Which did happen a fair bit by other members of family Which is why my parents packed us all up and moved us about 150 miles away from them So they generally only would see us on holidays since it was a three-hour drive My brother got physically abusive towards me on a number of occasions Flirted relentlessly with my first girlfriend to the point she broke up with me and laughed at any misfortune i had and my parents just told me to suck it up whenever i was upset about it i only got equal treatment when my parents wanted to keep up appearances i admit it was rather funny to see the looks on their faces whenever they had to treat me equally to my brother on birthdays and christmas because other people were present we had relatives that were very nosy and loved gossiping drama so my parents did their best to hide what was really going on and threatened to take all my stuff away if i didn't keep my mouth shut If anything, it just made my parents celebrate more when I turned 18 and moved out because it meant they no longer had to provide for me. I wasn't even done with high school yet when I moved out, but couch surfing was far better than living with them. I've been low contact ever since leaving home. They didn't even show up for my high school graduation, but I really didn't care. From that point on, I would usually only see my parents and brother on holidays like the rest of the family. The start of the 2020 pandemic was not kind to me. I lost my job and couldn't renew the lease on my condo because my roommate also lost his job and neither of us could afford the place on unemployment money. It was a rented two-bedroom condo that I really loved. As the lease was ending, my roommate left early to move back in with relatives and I had to sell nearly all of my stuff because I was going to be homeless if I didn't downsize to an extreme. I really shouldn't have rented a place that was so expensive, but I liked living the high life until that life wasn't kind to me. And I realized I should have been living somewhere far cheaper so I could have saved more money to fall back on. But I had a plan. I own a truck simply for the fact that I've always loved trucks. So I found a $1,000 camper in good shape and put it on my truck just so I could live out of it for a while. It was supposed to be temporary, but I ended up living out of it far longer than I ever thought. I originally was hoping to be able to live out of the camper at my parents' house where my brother and his family still reside as well. But when I asked my parents to let me stay for a while, they told me they had a full house and didn't want me there. Plus, we hadn't exactly gotten along in the past decade. They said they'd only agree to let me park my camper there if I paid them basically what it would cost to rent an apartment in my area. That was way too much just to park my camper. I was jobless and trying to save as much of my unemployment money as I could till I could find a new job. I may as well be living in an apartment with that rent price they were asking. My parents called my camper an eyesore and told me to take a hike since we couldn't come to an agreement. And my sister-in-law thought it was absolutely hilarious that I had to live in a camper. My brother joined her in pointing at and mocking me while calling me a homeless bum. 
I parked my truck camper in a store parking lot to sleep on the first night that I had nowhere else to go I felt scared out of my mind that someone might try to break in Suffice to say I didn't sleep well that night There was nowhere else I could go as any other relatives that owned houses were fairly far away And all my friends were all apartment people and I was pretty attached to my area as well So I didn't just want to leave. I'd also had my mail forwarded to a friend's apartment It was the only way I could still get my mail anymore Finding a stable place to park was pretty difficult. I went looking around to try and find a job similar to my old one It took months of living the nomadic camper life and in that time I had to deal with a lot Everything from beggars and drug addicts to people demanding I leave because my camper was an eyesore At one point someone who told me to move claimed to be with an hoa I wasn't even parked on a street with houses and when I questioned which hoa they got incredibly belligerent and threatened me I moved my camper anyway just to avoid the trouble in order to have a steady supply of electricity I learned to use a long extension cord to plug in anywhere I could to recharge my camper batteries This meant sneaking around and plugging it into an outside outlet of a random building while parked on a street I know that's a crummy thing to do, but I had to keep my batteries charged so my refrigerator would stay cold I had a small solar power bank for recharging my phone But I didn't have anything like a generator and generators are noisy and require fuel anyway So I did what I had to do after months of living like that. I finally managed to get a new job I had to move to the neighboring city to find a job that didn't involve retail I worked retail while in college and I promised myself never again Though I was nearly ready to break that promise I was still getting unemployment money But I had no stable place to live while receiving it and I didn't want to still be jobless when it ran out Plus I was bored out of my mind I had little else to do but read watch movies on a small portable dvd player Use my phone or laptop and keep note of where I could park and what local public bathrooms I could use I kind of envy that the Japanese have public bathhouses. We could really use stuff like that over here. When I finally landed a new job, I practically lived in the back lot of the building by the warehouse in an old employee parking space. Literally no one else seemed to bother using because they were so far in the back that the area was borderline forgotten. My boss or the company owner actually liked this arrangement because I was willingly available to take any shift I could get so long as I had enough sleep. He even let me take the camper off my truck and set it up in one of the spaces so I could drive around without it not exactly sure if this was legal but no one bothered us about it the entire time i lived back there i didn't have to deal with many trespassers there were a few but the security guards escorted them out i was pretty much on call almost all the time when they needed me and was working virtually every day of the week my boss let me plug my camper into the building for power and water and i paid a small amount of rent by working for free on sundays when no one else was in the office but the janitor and security guard beyond that i usually had to shower at a friend's apartment or at my local gym as the camper didn't have a shower in it and only a portable toilet and i didn't want to fill it because emptying it is a nasty chore so i used other bathrooms as often as i could I had a key to the warehouse and I could go in to use the bathroom there at any hour I was even on a first name basis with the night security guard He's since become one of my closest friends The camper was easy to heat in the winter with a small electric heater Summers were not fun though The camper didn't have ac so I had to get a used portable air conditioner just to make it bearable I made a lot of overtime pay and hands-on learned some new skills from other employees Eventually midway into this year I landed a better position in the company as a supervisor and started making a better salary than my old job That's when I decided that I wanted a house The scare I'd gotten from losing my condo made me realize that I needed something much more stable for the long term 
I looked around for something close to my work and just two miles away found a three-bedroom manufactured home on a small property But I managed to get it for ten thousand dollars less than the asking price somehow I used nearly my entire savings for a down payment and got approved for a home loan I finally didn't have to live in a camper anymore There was enough space for me to back my truck in behind the house to take the camper off to set it up in the backyard So I put it there as its own little building just in case I want to use it again When I was fully settled into the house, I was dumb enough to brag about it on my book of faces. My family saw the post, and that's where this stuff really starts. After a few weeks, my parents and brother, along with his family, came to visit, completely unannounced, to have a tour of my home. I didn't even give them my address, so how they found out where I live, I still don't know. None of my friends have fessed up, and no prior family members visited me before that. So I wonder if they stalked me at work and followed me home or something. It really wouldn't surprise me once I opened the door They practically all shoved their way in like rambunctious tourists then just started making themselves at home They all kept poking around and my sister-in-law had this creepy smirk that she was repeatedly flashing at me And it was only later that I figured out why and it made me madder than a bull on steroids that just got stung by a hornet My parents were constantly talking about how i've got so much extra space now And it's too much for someone like me who has no wife or kids Sure, not now, but maybe someday. And my brother kept remarking about how there was more space than our parents' house and that my house was closest to his job too. Red flags all around, I know. Eventually, my brother asked me to speak privately. Everyone else suddenly left the room and piled out onto the front porch. That's what finally made me realize that they'd been planning something. My brother, let's call him Dan for the sake of simplicity, said the house was too much for me alone and I should let him move in with his family because his wife is pregnant with kid number four. And my house is much closer to his job. He pointed out that I already have the camper so I could just live in that outside while they live in the main house. And I'd like to point out that Dan never once spoke of offering rent. Mind you, he's got a good job. He also started talking about how there would be changes and even curfews. And that I couldn't just walk in at any time without prior notice. If it weren't my brother, I think the person I was talking to had lost their mind. But Dan lost his marbles long ago, thanks to our parents treating him like he was the center of the world. I tried to speak, but he kept talking over me as if I had no say in the matter. There was no way in heck I'd rent my house or parts of my house to him. Other people, maybe, just so I could pay the mortgage off more easily, but certainly not him or his nasty wife. I've heard of this exact kind of situation in videos online many times and never once did I think I'd actually live it because I thought it so ludicrous. But my parents, brother and sister-in-law do all fit the bill for a bunch of narcissistic entitled crazies. So I picked up my phone and set it to start recording, then just held on to it. Dan didn't even seem to care or notice that I'd done this and just sat there with his arms waving around while talking about all the reasons as to why he needed my house. Then he went from saying that to acting like it was a done deal and trying to reach out his hand to shake mine. That's when I finally showed my backbone and said, heck no. And I said it loud enough that Dan stumbled backwards for a second. I'd rarely ever raise my voice to him on that level because I was punished by our parents whenever I did. But this was my house, not theirs. My spine could be as shiny as it wants here. I stood up and then told him that my house was not up for grabs and acting like I'll let him move in just because they want it won't make it happen. 
I bought my house for me and it's not my fault He keeps having more kids and has to keep living with our parents because he can't afford to move out Dan got as physically close to me as he could without actually touching me and said that I didn't deserve the house And that he needed a better place for his family to live I laughed back in his face and said that was total bs because I worked hard to be able to buy my house Of course, I deserved it dan started yelling that I have no wife or kids and I don't need all the space So I may as well give it to him I said i'm not giving him anything and he never even offered to pay me rent If I let him move in i'd still be covering the entire mortgage on my house without even being able to live in my own home Then dan told me that he shouldn't have to pay rent because his family comes first and our parents said I was going to do this and that I will I yelled as if their word was law or something and told dan that they did not have the right or power to give my house to him Then right on cue my parents and sister-in-law barged back in through the front door and surrounded me to try and force me to agree There was a lot of fighting but to sum it up from this point on I heard the line just do it for dan way more times than I can remember in the fight I told them they all don't have a say in my life or my house and to get out before I called the cops Sister-in-law screamed the loudest at me about how she was pregnant again and I can't do this to her I said I did nothing to her. She just assumed that she could take and take from me like I just allow it I had no obligation to her or her family Then I called her a stuck-up female dog who never had any respect for me So I don't care what she thinks or how many kids she has. I have no sympathy for her She won't be living in my house Well, that made her angry enough to attack me She got in one good hit on my face and tried to go for more But my brother held her back kicking and screaming She kept demanding he let her go so she could scratch my eyes out The phone I was holding recorded pretty much everything So then I held it up and said I was going to call the police if they didn't leave right away My parents told dan they were leaving then my mother said that I had a week to come to my senses I told her I wouldn't be and to not come back Then I told my sister-in-law that my phone recorded everything and if she tries anything i'll press charges for assaults She screamed at me and then stormed out loudly crying with her face in her hands My mother was the last one out of the door and said that i'd better do this for dan and my sister-in-law I responded again by telling her that I wouldn't be and there we go a long story indeed as op warned But a great story nonetheless so much to unpack that I don't really know where to begin Ultimately, i'm just happy that you put your foot down Maybe finally if i'm allowed to say that in your life and at last you've told your family where to go Which uh, funnily enough is outside of your house Now one thing to look out for is that in the intro of this story that I didn't read out just a little edit at the start Op said they were going to be releasing a part two So it sounds to me like this might actually just be the beginning and there may be a lot more to come in this story Perhaps I don't want to guess but perhaps the family coming back and trying to invade the home once again I don't know, but have to wait and see and if part two does get posted I'm gonna be on that. Don't you lot worry. But as for now without seeing part two All I can say is just get as much security in place as you possibly can my friend. We're talking cameras We're talking rottweilers. We're talking maybe 24 7 security guards. I don't know At the very least a lock on your door that would be ideal because these guys they just seem like they're going to saunter in once again and try the same tactic and they're probably stupid enough to think it's going to work it obviously won't but yeah just be aware i mean i love that i'm telling this guy to be aware of his own family but at this point what else can you do that is all my advice gotta say ultimately pretty sad that you know your brother was favored so heavily over you and is still favored despite the fact that you are now what 29 like look i get it sometimes there are golden children i understand that but you'd hope that after the age of 30 you're in your early 30s your brother's 29 that would have stopped by now what is the reason for that i have no idea interesting familial situation 
and I'm very much looking forward to part two. Part two of parents trying to take my house for my brother. They broke my locks to move in while I wasn't home. As I stated in the first half of my post, many will find this unbelievable and long. Yes, I am aware there are similar sounding posts online already. I've seen a number of them now, but it's not like those posters have a monopoly on this sort of stuff happening to them. If anything, I'm surprised this site hasn't been better weaponized against this sort of thing since entitled people should be more afraid of getting outed here. But anyway, I do not blame anyone who calls BS. I would too if I was reading this. However, by reading this and my first post, you'll know just how messed up my parents are, as in my life, they were the root of all evil that spawned my brother into the jerk he is today. And never once have they given me a real reason why. And I kind of fear there isn't one. Some people can't explain why they make choices like child favoritism. So it's all they can do to try and stand by the child they backed, which is exactly what my parents tried to do. And I've practically destroyed their lives for it. Not in the legal sense, but more an emotional one. After I kicked my parents, brother and sister-in-law out for trying to force me to hand over my new house to my brother, I immediately went to my social media and told the story to the whole family. It spread pretty fast, but you won't find it now because it all got deleted some time ago and I put my own profile on private. I posted about it because I knew that the first thing my family would do when they got home is try to twist the event to make me the villain. And I was exactly right, but I had about an hour to get started before them. And I had video evidence to back up my story about what they'd done. No, I don't plan on showing the video here, so don't ask. That is a shame, but I get it. Being preemptive worked because I got a fair number of family members on my side right away. My parents, brother, and sister-in-law must have been all set to write their own posts, but it was too late. So they didn't even bother trying to lie much. My parents, brother Dan, and sister-in-law had a few fly monkeys supporting them, but not much else. Plenty of others knew how entitled they already were. So what happened was something they all quickly understood and accepted. There was one person in particular that called me. I don't know who they were, but they ranted at me that I was a horrible brother and I needed to make way for a real family man. I just ended the call and blocked the number. This didn't repeat. The week went by and my parents showed up with Dan at my front porch, just like they said they would in the prior ultimatum. They rang my doorbell like crazy and also pounded on the door until I finally answered. I opened it just a crack and they tried to shove their way in again But i'd installed a couple of latch chains that prevented it and even braced my body against the door for good measure My father and brother demanded I let them in But I said I was recording everything on camera and I called the police if they tried to force their way in again My mother calmed them down and then in her most sickly sweet tone asked me if I was ready to let my brother move in I told her and the rest of them to f off and never come back My mother put on the crocodile tears and asked me why I can't just do this for Dan because he's my beloved brother. I laughed and then bluntly said, I do not love him as a brother because he treated me like trash for years and they only encouraged him to do so. They are terrible parents and he is a terrible brother. Then I told them to leave or I'd be calling the police ASAP. They all left surprisingly easily, apart from my mother's loud crying and the others giving me dirty looks. One could say making them leave was suspiciously easy. I thought the whole mess was over, but I guess I should have taken them more seriously because they had other stupid plans. I came home later that week on Friday evening to find a moving truck and my brother's minivan parked in my driveway. It was Dan and his family there moving stuff in. He just waved to me with a poopy in grin when I saw him. I was furious and told him and the rest of the family to stop, but my sister-in-law smugly said to me that, like it or not, they were moving in. And then, in the most fake way, while tilting her head and puckering her lips, she said that it was okay because my mummy allowed it, and I should always listen to what my mummy tells me. I seethed with rage just hearing those words and looking at her smug female dog face, so I locked myself in my truck to call the cops right away. 
When they realized what I was doing, my sister-in-law started pounding on my window and yelling at me to stop and that I can't do this to her because she and Dan need the house. And she cried, why can't you just do this for Dan? I responded with, screw Dan, it's my dang house, not his. Then she threatened to key the side of my truck unless I stopped calling the police, all of which the 911 operator heard thanks to the window being slightly open. I told my sister-in-law if she damaged my truck i'd sue her and she was smart enough to retreat when the police arrived dan and my sister-in-law with their kids had locked themselves in my house i told the cops what had happened as well as showing them my new driver's license that had my current address on it then when we went to my front door i saw that they changed the lock and the old lock was laying on the porch with the center of it drilled out and the drill they used was lying right next to it with a complete harbor freight drill bit set Could they have been any more stupid leaving evidence out like that? I pointed out the broken lock and drill and then gave the police a rundown on all the events that had happened prior. Well, I guess Dan called our parents over at some point after I arrived home because they showed up while I was talking to the cops. My parents immediately lied and started saying that I'd agreed to rent my house to my brother and his family. I said that was an easily provable lie one way or another. So Dan and my sister-in-law finally came out of my house with some papers in hand. They both looked super smug, like they'd somehow outsmarted me. They'd actually drawn up and printed out a fake rental agreement, but my signature was not on it. There was one, but it looked nothing like my handwriting. I don't think any of them had actually ever seen my signature, so that was incredibly stupid on their part. I told my parents and Dan that that was stupidly blatant fraud, and if the cops investigated, they'd easily figure that out. And I don't think going to jail and court would do them any good. It could even make Dan lose his job, which is his only means of providing for his family. I also said I would get a lawyer and sue for damages if anything of mine was lost, stolen, or broken, and that I'd call CPS too for good measure. Dan went white and looked really scared when I said all that, but my mother got between us and doubled down about how I should just do this for Dan and live in the Dan camper so they can finally have a family home to themselves. I yelled at her that if she thought it was such a good idea, she could do it for Dan herself and let Dan have her house to himself instead. The cops separated my mother from me and I said I wanted them all out right now or our press charges. I stated in a shout about how they drilled out my front door lock to break in. The lease papers were obvious fakes, they badly forged my signature, and I have recorded video of my sister-in-law attacking me. Those are felonies that I could screw up their lives with if I wanted to. And if they didn't leave, that is exactly what I'd do. The only reason they hadn't already was for the sake of Dan's kids. So they have one chance to get the F out. The moment my parents heard that, I think it finally clicked that they could not force me to do it for Dan. My mother surrendered and said she put an end to this. Then she went over to my sister-in-law and spoke with her quietly for a minute while my father spoke to Dan. My sister-in-law instantly started loudly crying and ripping up the fake rental papers into tiny bits and tossing them like confetti only to have an officer tell them to pick up the bits of paper or he'd cite them for littering. Both of the cops at this point had a I don't get paid enough for this look on their faces. Dan had to start telling his kids to load their stuff back into the moving truck. The kids were all crying and the eldest was sobbing that he won't get his own room now. My sister-in-law and Dan gathered their kids up to try and make one last pathetic attempt to guilt me with the sad family routine. You know, where they all gather together in a sort of group hug while all facing one direction I swear, I think they've practiced it before. All of the kids had the same pleading look with quivering mouths. My sister-in-law kept rubbing her pregnant belly and tilting her head to look like a sad puppy. And my brother just made the saddest face he possibly could and said, please don't do this. We need to be able to live here. But I didn't falter and told them to keep packing. 
All the kids and my sister-in-law turned the crying up to 11 and Dan then yelled at me. Are you satisfied with yourself? You've denied us a home because you're too selfish to share and help out family. I ended up laughing like a maniac and retorting that what he was trying to do was taking, not sharing. And no amount of crying will make me let his family move in because he's no brother of mine anymore. He's just an entitled idiot who thinks he can take whatever he wants from me like when we were kids. Dan then started F-bombing me until the cops told him to call it or he'd be in cuffs regardless of if I wanted to press charges. He sucked in his lips and looked a mix of afraid and supremely angry. I asked the cops if they could stick around until my parents, brother and sister-in-law had all left. And they said they had no intention of going anywhere until this had been resolved. In fact, in the next few minutes, two cops became four as more drove in for whatever reason. That gave my parents some extra incentive to get moving. I made Dan give me the keys to the new lock that he'd put on my front door, though I got another lock the next day anyway because I didn't know if he had copies of the keys or not. He was really reluctant to hand them over. Then instead of handing them to me, he actually threw them down the street and into a storm drain while saying to go and get them myself. But one of the cops scolded him for that and made him go and get them. He had to go and pull the grate off just to get them. And he got pretty dirty in the process. When he got the keys back, he just grumbled and slammed them down into my hand. I then told them all to leave and never come back. My mother said that I'd be disowned for this as if that was some kind of threat to me. And I voiced that to them. Then in an overly sarcastic tone, I said something along the lines of, Oh no, that means I won't get to come to any holidays with you guys or I always get treated terribly by you all anyway because Dan has always been your obvious favorite. You all treated me so badly when I was growing up that if Dan ever needs an organ donor, I wouldn't give him anything. So do like you always told me to do when I was mistreated by all of you and suck it up. My parents were floored after I said all of that and the quartet of cops were looking pretty judgmental at them as well I tell you if you want to put nasty parents like mine on the spot Confront them in front of cops because they'll likely not try anything stupid then my mother just started crying and walking away My father just stood there looking like he wanted to hit me and dan just held his kids in defeat Oh, and my sister-in-law was off having a tantrum on the front lawn soon enough They all formed a line handing out boxes and got their stuff out of my house Nothing had been unpacked yet, so it was all taken out pretty quickly But while doing it, my mother kept saying that it wasn't too late and I could still do it for dan several times Each time trying to bargain more and more to try and make me change my mind She said that dan could pay me rent if I let them stay and when that didn't work She said I could move back in with them to let dan rent my house so I wouldn't have to share the building I told her to shut up and keep packing boxes because I don't want Dan or his family around I don't want his money and I certainly don't want to live with him or my parents ever again After the way they treated me when I was a kid making a deal with my parents would be like making a deal with the devil to me My sister-in-law ended up having another tantrum after hearing that and threw a box down Then sat on the ground to have a pity party because she didn't want to go back to sharing a house with my parents And she just sat looking angry and sad until everyone else was finished She didn't even want to get up when it was time to leave. They finally got everything out of the house and into the truck. So before they left, I laid into my parents one last time about all of the stuff they put me through growing up. And with four cops being right there, they couldn't do much other than stand there and take it for once. I called them out on so many things that happened. And I even pointed out how they couldn't just do something nice for me. Like letting me stay over with my camper when I was homeless and trying to get back on my feet. How they let Dan and my sister-in-law ridicule me and call me a bum. Well, who's the bum now? They wanted to kick me out of my own house so Dan could stay in it free of charge. Yet when I needed a place to go, they wanted to gouge me for more than I could afford just to park my camper when they 
they knew I was out of the job. There were more extremely judgmental stares from the cops when I said all of that. So I put my parents on the spot one more time and asked them what I ever did other than being born to deserve being treated so badly. Because when I finally have a little bit of success in life, they want to snatch it away from me for their favorite child since they'd rather I give everything to Dan and have nothing for myself. I bought my house using the money that I earned. I owed them nothing and I won't be asking anything from them ever again because clearly I would never be anything more than a doormat or a cash cow in their eyes. I got no answers from them. They just stood there looking like fish out of water. So I continued ranting and asked them what in God's name made them think they were such good parents after all of that. My father was beat red, but more from embarrassment than anger this time. And my mother was crying that she was a horrible person. I bluntly agreed that she is a horrible person. They all are. And I bet they'll go to hell for it too. They were trashy people and they all knew it. But if I'd called them out on all of this stuff in private instead of in public, they'd just get mad at me and still act like I'm in the wrong. They just kept up the denial for so long that it's become a part of who they are. My mother buried her face in my father's jacket to cry. And my father looked more defeated than I've ever seen him. Dan and his family avoided me entirely as they finished putting everything back in the moving truck. I made sure nothing of mine was stolen. Not that I'd had a chance to get much furniture yet. I was lucky to even have a couch at that time. They all got back in their vehicles and my sister-in-law just stood staring at me with malice until my brother finally got her to drive the minivan home. And as soon as they were all gone, I got back online again and spilled the beans as to what happened. My parents were too embarrassed to even try and defend their actions this time. And while the family was somewhat split before this incident, it was now a landslide in my favor. Nearly all of the family has sided with me after this incident. And those who haven't simply aren't siding with anybody. No matter how much my parents previously tried the we did it for Dan line, no one listened anymore. So any remaining familial support they had is now gone. Many in the family who I expected wouldn't side with me did. That includes the former flying monkeys. So I guess they've finally had enough. Around that time, I offered to host half the family at next Christmas Eve in my new house. My parents were not invited. I wasn't blocked on my brother and sister-in-law's profile, surprisingly. And I saw my sister-in-law had her fourth baby in early November. They are still living with my parents. I'm pretty sure they knew I was watching because my sister-in-law kept making passive aggressive posts every couple of weeks or so about not having enough space while living with my parents, probably to see if she can still guilt me. And I'm sure it's driving my mother and father up the wall because they aren't getting any peace and quiet in their old age with three rowdy obnoxious kids, a mentally unstable sister-in-law, my golden child brother, and a newborn baby in the house all at once. Perhaps they could move into a camper in their own backyard and let Dan take over the house completely. They might get some peace then. Yeah, they could do that for Dan. My parents, brother, and sister-in-law showed up to Christmas at my house when they knew they were unwelcome. I was trying to keep things to two posts, but I realized while compiling everything that part two was just too dang long. So I've divided it into a part three. For those who commented on mass to get cameras, I will when I can afford it. I'm still in financial recovery from buying a house last year. And as far as I know, good cameras need a decent computer to record to. And I don't have anything more than a three-year-old laptop that runs Windows 10. Yes, I am aware of doorbell cams. That'll be the first kind I get. For those who kept saying that I should have just gotten my brother and sister-in-law arrested, the only reason I didn't was because they are parents. Their kids need them. And if Dan was arrested, he'd likely lose his job. And without that, his family has no money. Now my sister-in-law has a baby that's only a few months old right now. Neither of them need to end up in jail. 
but you don't need jail for revenge police can help yes but i got payback without filing a police report would i be this merciful again more than likely not and they know it i decided to wait on making an account and posting until after the new year just in case more stuff happened and it did as previous readers know my sister-in-law was making passive aggressive posts on social media that were obviously directed at me Especially after she had her fourth baby in November. She was posting the same repetitive nonsense over and over again. She just found semi-clever ways of rewording it. But she pretty much kept regurgitating that she was tired of living with my parents. That there isn't enough space. She needs her own house. Blah, blah, blah. I know I sound dismissive, but live through what I have with these people and you'd be ready to sarcastically play tiny violins in front of them too. They're just that bad. Now, since I waited until January to make an account, more happened, just like I thought. I stated before that I'd invited half the family for a Christmas Eve party at my house and everyone I invited all came, even though it was a fairly long drive of around three to four hours for them. But they wanted to come and show me their supports. I was praised by them a lot for how hard I'd worked to get a house on my own and that they were sorry for everything i'd gone through i was asked why i didn't just take my camper and drive the three hours back to them instead of living pretty much homeless for so long and i had to sheepishly admit that i was very attached to living around here and i had my best employment opportunities in this area my hometown doesn't have a lot of great job opportunities in my field if any at all and i wanted to make my own way as much as i could an answer they overall accepted we moved on to having a rather nice party the best i'd been to in years some relatives even brought cds of great christmas albums and i have to say the one my uncle brought of ray charles was my favorite he sings christmas songs like no one else i've heard it was a grand and happy time i felt like for once i could just forget my past issues and enjoy the moment but I wouldn't be writing this if it had stayed that way. About two hours into the party, you know who showed up. My parents, brother, and sister-in-law popped in trying to look all smiles. They didn't even knock, just walked right in my front door like they were meant to be there. I shut off the music and told them to leave immediately. They begged to stay and said they brought gifts. But one of my uncles stood up and yelled at them before I got another chance to speak. And he said they don't deserve to be in my home all my life after the trash they tried to pull months earlier and he was backed up by several other relatives mind you this guy is my mother's brother and he used to love her to pieces until he found out about all the stuff that went on between me and my parents my grandparents my mother's parents as old as they are hurriedly got in between us and said to my parents that if they want to make amends with me it's far too soon and they've never been more disappointed in them than they were this past year they'd hidden their favoritism for my brother from prying eyes for a long time but nobody was fooled anymore and they needed to make a serious effort to try and actually treat me like a son if they ever wanted to be in my life again then they turned to dan and my sister-in-law and said they've seen the repetitive nonsense my sister-in-law keeps posting they're tired of it and to just let it go already my house will not become their new home my sister-in-law went back to her old standard of crying and had a pity party about how she should be the one living here and not me she plopped down in a chair to have a tantrum and say it wasn't fair i got this house to myself when i have no family of my own and she has four kids that need more space and she just wanted a better place to live in and feel like a real mum. it was petty of me but i loudly pointed out that she sucks as a mother because she lets my mother do most of the parenting while she sits on her butt all day drinking playing on her phone or going out and spending all of dan's money and she has the nerve to complain about it i even joke that i'm surprised her baby doesn't get drunk from her breast milk since she drinks so much booze which i admit went a bit too far as i got some stairs and my sister-in-law demanded to know if i was calling her a bad mum 
I said the evidence speaks for itself. And if she wanted to be able to afford to move out of my parents' house someday, then she needs to put her college degree to some use, get a job, and learn to save money. My mother already does most of the childcare for my brother's kids anyway, so she'd have plenty of time after her baby gets a little older. My brother's eldest kid, who's seven years old, ran up to start kicking and screaming at me for yelling at his mum, and he kept at me about how his mum said that I was the bad guy who made her cry and didn't let them live here. That's when my brother grabbed his son to pull him away, but all the other relatives jumped back in, and this sort of turned into a family intervention against my sister-in-law and brother. She was crying, her new baby was crying, her kids were crying. Heck, even Dan was very nearly in tears from the verbal lashing he was being assaulted with. He ended up just sitting on the ottoman I keep shoes in by the front door and looking like a complete wreck. He couldn't look anyone in the eye. He couldn't even say two words to me. Not with a whole house filled with angry people ready to judge him if he tried to let out his inner golden child again. If they weren't there to get in his way, I bet this would have ended up a repeat of when he tried to order me around to try and take my house months earlier. By this point though, he'd been so thoroughly humiliated that his and my parents' reputation in the family was completely destroyed because the masks were all now off. Soon after, my parents, brother, and sister-in-law all left in defeat. The party resumed and we all avoided speaking about what just happened for the rest of the evening. Since most of the adults had been drinking, everyone stayed the night in my house. I even let some of them sleep in the camper so there'd be enough space. I admit, it also makes a good guest house. My relatives all wanted a tour of it earlier as well, and they said they couldn't believe I'd been living in it for around two years. I got a lot of questions about it, like what summer and winter was like, and so on. I was up earlier than everyone else Christmas morning and had a fresh pot of coffee and some ibuprofen for those spiked eggnog hangovers a few of them had. I was complimented on being a way nicer host than my parents ever were, and we all agreed to do this again next Christmas. After Christmas, my sister-in-law did finally stop making posts that were obvious digs at me and deleted all of the old ones as well. But shortly after the new year, she more recently made a new post complaining about how she tried to convince my parents to get a camper like I had so it could be set up in the backyard. So then Dan and his family could use the whole house as their family home. Well, a taste of one's own medicine is never fun because my parents turned that idea down vehemently, I hear. No one is going to push them out of their own home, let alone their master bedroom. The post was only up for a couple of days before my sister-in-law removed it and she's hardly posted anything since then. She loves to complain, but if a tree falls and no one is around to hear it, can it still complain? My sister-in-law, I guess, has realized there's no point in doing it now when no one hears it anymore. And Dan can't afford to move his family out on his salary alone anytime soon. If they end up expecting another child in the next few years, I won't be surprised. Things have mellowed down for me since then, and I've even invited friends over for a poker night. I suck at poker because I can never remember a dang thing about it, but so what? We get to drink beer and eat junk food while being merry idiots. We all loaded up on whoppers from Burger King and just had at it the best way four grown men can when they just want to have a good, unadulterated time and get drunk. I think maybe around summer, I'll look into possibly dating someone. I'm not exactly getting younger here. Fingers crossed that goes well. My camper just sits idle in my yard now. And I admit, there were some days I went out there just to spend time in it. I did live in it for two years. It's like my second home. And maybe one day I'll actually get to use it for camping like it was meant to be. I've never been camping. My parents considered it a waste of time. So it would be a completely new experience for me. This pretty much marks the end of what happened. My parents, brother and sister-in-law have all been staying very clear of me. In fact, they seem to have gone back to acting like I don't exist, like they did before I bought a house. Not like that bothers me at all. It's better that way. 
but they'll inevitably come back in some way. I know they will. I just wonder what kind of stupid thing they'll do next. If anything notable like all this ever happens again, I'll make another post if this account is still active. And there we go then. That is the conclusion of one of the most compelling entitled parent stories that I've seen on this subreddit in a long time. That was great from start to end. And I actually feel like one day I'll make it into an episode of its own. Gotta say, OP, fair play to you. Fair play to your extended family. You absolutely cannot pick who you're born to. But the fact is, you seem to have now come through your entire adolescence, your youth, and just survived, if anything. And now, finally your extended family have actually realized the way these people who are our very close family siblings even are parts of this you know daughters parents etc are actually just horrible people and we'd be a lot better off spending christmas day without them and that is what you did and it was great what a surprise all i will say though is the ending is a little bit ominous because opie says they'll inevitably come back in some way i know they will i'll make another post if that happens so maybe one day we'll have part four honestly for your sake, OP, I hope not. For my sake and us watching, you know, give us some more entertainment. Okay, here we are into the top three now. It's getting serious, apart from the fact it's definitely not. Because the story that I've chosen for number three, it's got to be up there with one of the funniest I've ever read. There's no doubt about it. This will make you laugh. If it doesn't make you laugh, then I'm sorry, grow up get a sense of humor. This comes from r slash true off my chest. In fact, it is the only submission in the top 10 from r slash true off my chest, which normally is a very serious, quite deep subreddit. People anonymously telling their, their truest, darkest secrets, but not this time. This story is something else. My brother-in-law called me the one who got away in his speech, and my husband is very hurt, and it's all my fault. I don't know what to do, I think I've done serious damage to my marriage before it even began. I met my husband through his brother, Chris, who I had a crush on in college. I never was clingy or never acted on my feelings, and I never really allowed myself to get too close to him because I knew that my feelings weren't reciprocated. Chris knew, however, that I had a crush on him, or at least he felt it. He would always say that I was GF material and how he wouldn't want to leave me on. He wanted to have fun before that. He would say this to others, but he even once said it to me. On two occasions, he texted me saying he had feelings for me, only to apologize later and retract his words. But on Christmas four years ago, he texted me that he was in love with me and wanted to take me out on a date. He said he was done playing around and wanted a relationship. He was invited to a New Year's Eve party that my then roommate and I had. He told me he wanted to talk to me then. When he came to the party, he had his brother with him. Chris spent the party going out of his way to ignore me. And later I saw him making out with my roommate and they spent the night in her room. I decided there and then that I'll drop it. Enough is enough. Next morning, he told me that he screwed up saying, I screwed up big time, yeah? And he apologized. During the party, I got to know his brother who was the opposite of Chris. He was shy and hated attention and he was just the best. And soon after, he asked me on a date. We're married now and our wedding was last Wednesday. I want to make two things clear. I never went beyond a crush with Chris and only after I fell for my husband did I understand what love really is. He is everything to me and I love him more than anything. I never told anyone about my crush and when I met my husband, I didn't tell him either. Chris wasn't happy that I was seeing his brother and he's been cold towards me ever since, even when it got serious between my husband and I. Chris held a speech on our rehearsal dinner and basically outed everything and ended with how he regretted not asking me out sooner and how he will always regret it. 
It was very awkward afterwards and nobody talked and on our wedding day My husband did everything to act normally and he made sure everything was as planned But I could feel that he was hurt and angry after the party He asked me if I loved chris and if I dated him for that reason I started crying because it's absolutely not true We started dating and then we became friends and I made sure it was him I wanted before committing and I never loved anyone like I love my husband I told him all this and more and I apologized so much for not telling him everything in the beginning I thought it was my own private matter and I didn't feel the need to discuss it with a then stranger to me When our relationship evolved I just never thought chris was relevant and my crush seemed a silly thing now It's back to bite me in the butt My husband is very sad and barely talks to me. We're leaving for our honeymoon in two weeks and he's barely speaking about it. The thing we both waited for with so much anticipation and longing, I don't know what to do. I can't turn back time, so I don't know what to do. Wow, what a story to get things started. I will say that none of this is your fault at all. None of this is your husband's fault at all. I completely understand why he feels the way he does. It's all on Chris. I don't know What's wrong with him? Clearly, he's just a bit of a player, but saying that now, potentially ruining his brother's marriage is crazy. Like, fine, have some regret if you want. Ultimately, the regret is only down to you and your actions. You are the one that messed it up in the past, or I guess just didn't even want to do it that much. I don't really know. But to do that now, years later, and potentially mess up an actual proper relationship, something that you've clearly struggled to find, is pretty disgusting. I'm not gonna lie. Now, hopefully your husband gets over this pretty soon. I really think he will. But nonetheless, this sorry excuse for a brother-in-law that you now have, maybe you just distance him. Maybe that's what you gotta do. And just... All you can do really is prove to your your husband how much you love him and don't rate his brother. Okay then, now on to number two. And it's another cult classic, if I do say so myself. Another series of stories that I've compiled into one for this one. In fact, I love this series so much that I've already made a separate compilation of all the parts into one before. It's just that good. And I can't wait to hear it again. This is Mad Margaret versus insane granny you know actually i'll let my former self introduce this one and really set things up welcome to the battle of the century between two of the most entitled women i've ever come across this is mad margaret the insane granny two iconic characters of this channel and you're going to decide who is the worst first up this is the tale of mad margaret mad margaret the beginning today i will be introducing you to a human being who is a curious mixture of entitled and insane my first landlady mad margaret about eight years ago i moved out of my parents place practically a few months after returning from foreign exchange my family is supportive but pretty firmly believe in being autonomous and self-sufficient so i look for a place to live near my at the time girlfriend now fiance she lived on the outskirts of a larger city and finding low rent would be difficult eventually i find a room listed for about 500 dollars a month which is almost criminally low for the area but I was a foolish child and I didn't pick up on that first red flag. The second red flag came when I called to query about the room. My soon-to-be landlady made sure to emphasize that she was a pastor and a minister, that no amount of Satanism or evil thoughts would be allowed in the house. I am myself completely non-religious, so I foolishly believed that this would be perfectly fine. I explained that I was a student and would be doing student things. An agreement was made and I moved up shortly thereafter. Upon moving in, Mad Margaret was pleasant, if a little eccentric. She showed me to my room, my mum helped me unpack, and my mum and I left to get me some starting groceries. Upon our return, Mad Margaret showed me my shelf in the fridge and my shelf in the pantry. 
Mum and I load our stuff up and Mum drives back home. Shortly afterwards, Mad Margaret apologized for leaving some of her groceries on the pantry and helped me move her stuff to a different shelf. This left all of my groceries stacked up in the middle of my shelf on the pantry because I didn't feel the need to spread them out. This is very important. My first morning in my new room, I wake up at around 8 a.m. to knock, 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 knock. Hey, Margaret, what's up? It's not going to work out. You need to pack your things up and leave. I'm sorry, what? You need to leave. It's not going to work out. Well, I paid first and last month's rent, so I'm here for at least two months. What's going on? Have I offended you? I don't need any of your feng shui, voodoo, devil rubbish in my house. Notes, it was not her house. She was subleasing. I don't recall doing any feng shui, voodoo, devil rubbish. What do you mean? She beckons that I follow her and stomps off to the kitchen, where she flings open the pantry and points accusingly at my shelf. This feng shui rubbish. What's wrong with my groceries? How you organize them? You have them all stacked up in the middle like you're doing some feng shui rubbish to curse me and my child. Uh, no, I just left them there after we moved your groceries off my shelf yesterday. You had your stuff on the sides, so I put my stuff in the middle and then we moved your groceries. Humph. Well, I've got my eye on you. And that, my friends, was day one in this house. I lived there for a little over half a year. If you guys are interested, I can provide more epic tales of this mad woman. She was entitled, nuts, and pretty racist against black people, Asians, and Hispanic people. And speaking of more tales of Mad Margaret, guys, don't worry, because here is Mad Margaret Part 2, her righteous defense against the shaman and warlocks. What a title. One of the mistakes I made very early on as an independent adult was to regularly offer my technical and electronic skills to anyone and everyone. It makes me feel cool and smart to fix things for people. I made this mistake with Margaret during my initial phone call setting up the rental situation. The next day, after she accused me of Satanism, based solely on how I organized my groceries, she called me over to the living room. I braced myself for another rant about my evil voodoo ways, but instead, Mad Margaret asked for my help. She asked about a way to get her camcorder to stream live to the internet. I figured this was an opportunity to get on her good side, so I take the camcorder in hand and start fiddling with it, as well as her computer to see what our options were. This was in 2013, so live streaming was nowhere near as commonplace as it is today. While playing with her outdated equipment to see if what she wanted was even possible, she began to explain why she wanted to live stream. You see, Mad Margaret has a hobby, Mad Margaret enjoys preaching daily to an empty room for about three consecutive hours. Give or take an hour, depending on her mood. I later learned that this was the safest time to enter and leave the house, as she would not stop unless God himself showed up to tell her to shut up. Margaret began telling me how desperately important it was that she do this daily. The following conversation, while possibly not identically worded, as it has been nine years, has not been exaggerated in the slightest, nor is she being misrepresented. This is who this woman is. Thank you, Bailey, for helping me get this fixed up. I knew it was the right choice letting you live here. Did she forget that she accused me of Satanism just yesterday? No problem. I just really enjoy fixing things. Do you know why I do this? Preaching to her living room behind a lectern every day? Because you're a minister? I was desperately hoping this would be a short conversation. Well, because I fight daily for the protection of the world and all the good godly people here. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there are people on the opposite side. People who work with the devil to try and bring ruin to the world. 
Every day, there are shaman out there begging their evils to prevent the sun from rising each day. Oh. If I wasn't here preaching God's word, they would win. The sun wouldn't rise and we'd all die in a world of darkness. Yes, people, I am not exaggerating. This woman takes credit for the sun rising each day. Ah, well, thanks, I guess. Each day I speak out against these evils. You know, the other day I saw thousands of crows on your college campus. I knew they were sent by evil priests to stop my sermons. They're an evil that collects around the godless students at the college that you go to. I'm pretty certain that crows just have some kind of migration pattern up here in the fall. They do, of course. We get tons of crows every year. No, it's them students, I'll tell you. I had one of those Asians staying here last year. I tried to tell him about God and Jesus, but he tried to put an evil on me for it. That's unfortunate. He had this shrine with Buddhas and evil figures. He tried to use his magic to curse my son's flight, to crash the plane and kill him. Did his plane crash? No, because I stopped it with my sermons. Nito. I've had other students from your college come here. All of them evil. So many of them smoke the devil's lettuce and let Satan take over their body. Terrible influences on my other son. Later, I would find out her other son lived in a building next door and was hands down the biggest stoner I've ever met in my entire life. The dude was so chill and tried to redirect his mum from harassing us anytime he was there. I'm sorry, is all I can say. So how's the camera coming, honey? Um, can we get my videos online? You know, Margaret, I think that this camcorder and desktop are a little too old to be capable of doing that. I'm afraid you'll have to keep the recordings yourself. Following this, I left for my girlfriend's house as quickly as possible. Every day for the next month, Mad Margaret would attempt to pester or harass me into fixing her up to be live online. Each time I'd make an excuse to not get trapped into doing so. Mad Margaret Part 3 The Tale of the Possessed Dog So, I moved out of my house when I was 18 to go to school near my girlfriend, now fiancé. I found a suspiciously cheap room in the area with a landlady who turned out to be nuttier than squirrel poop. Said landlady accused me of Satanism because of how I organised my groceries. Then the next day took credit for the rising of the sun. Note, this was several years back and she is no longer my landlady. All right then, on to today's episode. Margaret is, by my estimation, at heart somewhat lonely. How do I know this? Well, two reasons. One, if she saw me or one of the other two tenants and she wasn't preaching to an empty room, she would immediately attempt to hold us hostage in conversation. Seriously, no amount of mm-hmmms or reallys would dissuade her from going on and on and on and on and on about how everyone besides her is evil and she's a saint. After one week where she wasn't able to successfully pester me or the other two tenants, she out of nowhere adopted a dog. Now, it's been nearly 10 years, so I cannot remember this dog's name, but I do remember the dog. It was a small curly-haired white dog that looks like this if you're watching on YouTube, and it was a sweetheart. This dog, when I met it, was jumping up and wanted nothing but love and affection, which it seemed at first Margaret was going to provide. She pet the dog, told her that she was a beautiful gift from the Lord, a great matchup, right? Well, before I elaborate much further, it warrants explaining the layout of the house. Mad Margaret's mad house was at one point in its history an assisted living home. It had three bedrooms on the first floor, one for each tenant, and a whole second story dedicated entirely to her grand regal radiance, Mad Margaret. It's also worth mentioning that Mad Margaret is, if you hadn't figured out from the other two stories, extremely mistrustful of, well, everyone. So she made a point that her fluffy white angel never be downstairs. Back to the story. 
For the next few days, I am, as always, careful to leave during Margaret's midday sermon to no one, as that is the only time she won't attempt to trap anyone in conversation. I noticed a bit of a trend. She kept talking about the cleanliness of God and how the devil was an agent of chaos and filth. Eventually, about a week after Mad Margaret got the dog, I was unlucky enough to return home while she was in the kitchen. She caught me. Bailey? Frick. What up, Margaret? We need to get rid of the dog. We? Oh no, I say. What's going on? It's possessed. I think by Satan himself. What What do you mean it's possessed? This, forgive me, but damn dog is intent on ruining my godly house is bringing filth into my home. Filth? It keeps defecating and urinating in my room. We need to get rid of it. Oh no, it wasn't potty trained. Those heathens at the shelter assured me that she was. Is it not going to the bathroom when you let it outside? And Margaret was silent. At this point, it hits me. I'd seen the dog precisely once when she'd initially gotten it. I'd leave the house pretty frequently, but one would assume my path would cross with her pottying the dog at least once, right? Margaret, you have been letting the dog outside, right? I want this demon gone. Sigh. What do you mean you want it gone? I want to take it to be put down. Um, absolutely not. Absolutely not, Margaret. Return it to the shelter. But it's possessed. The heathens at the shelter try to put a demon in my home. Margaret, the dog is not possessed. You never let it outside. Where the heck is it supposed to go to the bathroom? Do you expect it to stand up on the toilet, do its business and flush? Oh, I just let it out the other day. Margaret, how often do you go to the bathroom? Every couple of days? No. Find me the number of the shelter and I'll call them for you. I don't have their number. I don't believe that. You better get your son to help you get this dog back to the shelter because if I find out you've had this dog put down because it pooped in the room you left it locked up in, you're gonna have a lot more to worry about than demons in this house. I'll call the cops, animal protective services, anyone and everyone. Fine, I'll get my son to help me return this dang demon. The last I saw the dog, she was loading up into her SUV and her son was driving. She'd lost her license several times over. So I'm fairly confident the dog was taken and returned to the shelter she got it from. For the next couple of days, she was surprisingly less talkative to me, though she definitely looked at me with some suspicion. I don't think she ever stopped believing that dog was possessed. I'm glad though that I was able to save it from her. I mean, listen, I knew this woman was crazy before I started reading this third installment of the Mad Margaret Tales, but my goodness, if you weren't there, OP, then this woman legitimately would have killed a dog for not letting it outside to go to the toilet. Mental. Now I know what you're thinking, wow, surely this woman can't get any crazier. Well, there's part four and part five coming right up. So um, yeah, you'd be wrong, unfortunately. Mad Margaret part four other tenants. I've mentioned minimally in other installments of this story that there were other tenants in Mad Margaret's house. To be precise, there were two, Sad Steve and Devilish Dan. No names change because I've forgotten their names at this point. I'm not the type of person to really know my neighbors and our paths seldom crossed because we'd all keep to our rooms for obvious reasons. Both of these men were a fair bit older than me, 40s and 50s, and both were semi-recently divorced, only living with Mad Margaret to be closer to their kids. We'll start with an introduction of Sad Steve. Sad Steve was a very clever, if very depressed man. In the months I lived there, I shared maybe two to three conversations with him. He was a set worker for a local TV show about a cop who can see supernatural fairy tale things. He was very sad about the way things went down in his life and wanted nothing more than to be there for his kids. 
He gave me a Mickey Mouse coffee mug I still own to this day. Now, as far as Mad Margaret was concerned, this man was a ripe target for impromptu sermons and semi-frequent snide remarks. The first time I spoke with Sad Steve in the kitchen, after chatting for a bit, Margaret came out and I very quickly finished making my food and scurried back to my room, unfortunately abandoning poor Steve. Steve was stuck in that conversation for a good two hours. The man either had the patience of a saint or just wouldn't will himself to exit the situation. She told him all about how God's got a plan for this. If you're righteous, your life won't suck. It wasn't good. The look on his face at the time broke my heart and I resolved to throw myself between Mad Margaret and Sad Steve anytime she started focusing on him. It felt like I was leaping on top of a grenade each time, but I'm fairly emotionally resilient. And honestly, I thought too much exposure to Margaret would drive Steve to a bad place. I wish I had more to tell you about Steve, but that's about the long and the short of it. Now, the other tenant there is someone that you've probably all been dying to hear about, Devilish Dan. Why do I assume your collective interest in Devilish Dan? Well, this man has acted out and personified just about every action you guys recommended I take. Dan hated Mad Margaret, and Mad Margaret hated him right back. These people were arch enemies in the most literal sense possible. Where I saw someone to be avoided for the sake of avoiding unnecessary inconvenience or drama, Devilish Dan saw a religious nut who could be messed with. Devilish Dan would laugh devilishly. Devilish Dan would outright claim to be Satan there to torture her. He would get into shouting matches with Mad Margaret because he apparently does not see the futility in arguing with crazy. He would slam his door and claim to be the Antichrist. Devilish Dan was surprisingly childish for a 50 plus year old man with graying hair. Now, while I disagreed with his tactics, his presence outside of his room was much appreciated because Mad Margaret would fixate on him because he would actively antagonize her which made any time he was roaming the house a safe time for me to go about my business unperturbed. A brief example of a typical interaction between the two would be this. Dan, are you trying to curse my son? I saw you looking at him with evil eyes when you were getting out of your car. Well, of course I was. What? Why? Why do you attack my family? Because I'm the devil incarnate, you stupid idiot. You loud, angry rambling. After a particularly bad night between the two, I was roused from my computer science homework by particularly loud slamming down the hallway. I decided to wait a bit for things to calm down, then took my laundry to the laundry room, which was right next to Devilish Dan's room down the hallway. I find Mad Margaret's practically Rastafarian son in the hallway, staring at Devilish Dan's bedroom door, laundry in hand, shaking his head. On Devilish Dan's door, in white paints, in large horror movie fonts, was the message, don't threaten me. Good Lord people, I wish I'd taken a picture. Mad Margaret's son had come over to pick up his laundry out of the dryer, only to find the message on the door. He yelled to Mad Margaret, Mom, I'm serious. You can't be doing this anymore. You're gonna get in trouble. Which was met with some shrieking about how devilish Dan was the devil. I quickly got the lowdown from the son. Devilish Dan doubled down on his devilish depiction. Mad Margaret, met with much misanthropy, momentarily melted down. This was also, apparently, not Mad Margaret's first time using this means of communication, so her son was concerned she'd be met with the police. Now, for those of you who are cheering on Devilish Dan, like me, by the way, the narrator here, I do want to take a moment to clarify. This is not necessarily just how he acted with Margaret. The man was a pretty rude narcissist, pinning the blame for all of his life's woes on Mad Margaret and his ex-wife. When I was looking for another room to rent, I met two lovely women in the neighborhood who had rooms, one of which I did move into. 
and both had also had applications from Devilish Dan. Both of these women made it very clear they did not see him in a favorable light and that he'd been angrily ranting about how everything bad was Margaret's fault taking no responsibility for himself. Ultimately, at the end of this tale, I remain concerned for Sad Steve, and I hope he did well and got out of there. I feel little pity for Devilish Dan, and I assume that if he remained there for much longer, one would have murdered the other. Personally, I'm just glad to have left. Yeah, not gonna lie, guys, I definitely see a lot of Devilish Dan in myself, for better or worse. Um, when someone is as crazy as that and is just downright deluded and mental, yeah, maybe in retrospect, it's not the best thing to just mess with them, but at the time, I know that I wouldn't be able to help myself. Stuff like that, writing that sort of stuff on his own door, trying to make it seem as if Mad Margaret had done it. I just love it. And look, maybe that's the devil inside me. Sorry for the pun, but I just love that sort of stuff. And I do think she deserved it. Let me know down below. Do you agree with Bailey, OP, or do you agree more with Devilish Dan and his actions? For me, Dan's clear, 100%. Mad Margaret part five. Margaret meets Bailey's dad. Now, if you didn't know, Bailey is the name of the person that has written this entire series. All right then, so we can get started. We have to talk about somebody first, my dad. He is, well, an interesting guy. He's not tall, he's about 5'8", so a bit shorter than me, and he was in the Air Force for a long time as the guy who trained other people how to survive in the wilderness. He literally wrote most of the book on how to not die away from civilization. And he also fixed jets. He builds his own motorcycles and got one featured in a magazine. In terms of personality, he is a force to be reckoned with. Much of the time, he thinks he's a social butterfly and will walk up to random people to start conversations. Dad has an unerring sense of justice, enjoys helping people, is loyal, and is incredibly inventive and clever, although he can be rather opinionated. However, the man's got a fuse so short you'd barely believe it's there. And having trained military men in how not to die, he's got a hell of a drill sergeant voice. It's like he has the voice from the Dune series, except people tend to do what he says because he's able to shout so loudly and with such authority that you unconsciously begin doing whatever he's shouting at you about. It's like the annoyed voice of God. He'll love that I said that. In short, I love and respect this man as he formed a lot of who I am today. I'm a milder version of him and believe in being persuasive rather than shouty, but ultimately much to the same effect. So with that in mind, on to the story. Dad came down to visit me or to drop something off, I can't remember, in the city where I moved. We drove around for a bit before ultimately returning to Mad Margaret's madhouse. Upon our return, I take to moving whatever he's got in his truck into my room and I foolishly leave him unsupervised for more than 30 seconds. Of course, this means that Mad Margaret has crawled out of the air vents, or however it was she'd move around the house, to find him standing in the living room. Dad begins trying to make small talk with Mad Margaret, who I absolutely warned him about and begged him not to engage her. In retrospect, this was seen by him as an open invitation to meet a new crazy. That is exactly how I'd take that as well, I'm not gonna lie. So, how have things been with my boy moved in? Asked Dad. Well, I'm not so sure about him. What? What's the problem? I'm not so sure he's a good kid. I don't trust him. There's been some evil in this house since he moved in. At this point, dad begins turning a light shade of red. Ha, <laughs> evil? Bailey's the best dang kid I've ever met. He's a straight A student and helpful to a fault. No, I think he's definitely into some kind of paganism, like all the kids going to his college. Dad now turns a deeper shade of red. Freaking excuse you, I raised that kid. He's significantly smarter and kinder than I'll ever be, and even if he was Satanist, he's a million times kinder than you. At this point, I have felt the world shake and gods tremble as my dad is moments away from a shouting match with Mad Margaret. 
I don't need you or him bringing the devil into this house. I'm visually watching my dad turn a shade of red that even his colorblind ass can see and quickly run in to intervene. I run up to him. Dad, outside now. We step outside. Dad, I love you, but I need you to not get into an argument with her. Why the heck shouldn't I? She was insulting my boy. Yeah, but I have to live here for at least a couple more months. So why should you have to deal with this insane woman's BS? Because if I don't give her a reason to focus on me, she won't bother me much. I'm not being nice or deflected with her because I think she deserves it. I'm doing it because it doesn't benefit me at all to make enemies. Oh, I raised a smart boy. Dang, she annoys me. Eventually, I convinced my dad to be content to give me a hug and I sent him on his way. Margaret tried talking to me as soon as I went back in and I responded, sorry, Margaret, I don't care. I've got homework. And I shut myself in my room. Important lesson to all. It doesn't benefit anyone to argue with crazy. Pick your battles by whether or not there's potential for them to benefit you in the future. Also, it's my dad's birthday today and he came up here to visit. We're going skydiving tomorrow. We went out for drinks and I asked him to reflect on Mad Margaret. He said, you know, I don't care if people are religious, whatever you got to tell yourself to be able to live your life. But dang, she was freaking nuts. Now, the good news is that big old Bailey, I don't know if they're big or not, but that's just something I say, has posted a sixth and seventh story about Mad Margaret. Mad Margaret part six, her surprising if brief redemption arc. This particular story starts not at Mad Margaret's house, but rather at my girlfriend, now fiance's house. I've been hanging out with her all day, and by that time, her mum was probably sick of playing host to a teenage boy, so I'd elected to go home and work on my homework. Now, it's important to note that my girlfriend's house was at the top of a very steep hill, or rather a mountain. I don't know what to call it, since hill doesn't do it justice, but mountain seems a bit too extreme. There were two paths down this hilly mountain, the first of which, and my primary means of access, was a long, winding road with no bike lane. Unfortunately, I didn't have my driver's license until a couple of years later, so I biked everywhere. The second trail down the mountainous hill was a footpath that I was unfamiliar with. On this particular day, the rain had been pretty intense, and it was a bit foggy, so I decided to err on the side of safety. I'm very cautious on my bike, despite the biking culture here. I still bike like I'm living in LA, where cars view on-road cyclists as mere speed bumps. So, I took the footpath. Surely you can tell from the ominous italicization of that last sentence that this was a huge mistake. Huge mistakes in bold. And for those of you listening, the last sentence was italicized. The footpath was covered in leaves and I was unfamiliar with it. As stated previously, this area was unforgivingly steep. So I was cycling down the footpath very rapidly, cockedly assured of my prowess on a bike. Well, cycling prowess means jack diddly squat when you're hurtling down a hill at about 20 miles an hour and are suddenly presented with a very sharp turn through a tunnel. I tried to lean into the turn and ease onto my brakes. Instead, my wheels slid out from under me on wet leaves and my bike and I went skidding down the asphalt for about 10 feet. After catching my breath, I immediately released it again in the form of every curse word in every language I am familiar with. Thankfully, the trees that bore witness to my wipeout took no offense. Now, it's important to know that this is all merely prelude to my epic trek hobbling back home. Once I gathered up my bike and belongings, ensured that most of my organs were where I left them, and took inventory of how many of my inside fluids became outside fluids, I began hobbling back the mile or two to Mad Margaret's house. On the way back, I passed by a preschool slash kindergarten, and I thought to myself, Aha! Keepers of children. Those are just the demographic that typically get injured and dinged up. Perhaps they have a first aid kit I can use to keep my blood on the inside. So I hobbled up to the school and asked if they had a first aid kit that I could borrow. They gave me a pretty curt, nope, we don't have one. 
Now, while I am in fact certain that they did, I can kind of understand where they were coming from. An 18-year-old with a somewhat busted-looking bike came limping up covered in scrapes and bruises, looking somewhat like an extra in a bad zombie movie. I was annoyed, but I kept on limping. Sorry, I've got to intervene here. Any good school or any good person would still give you a first aid kit. Come on. Eventually, I'm halfway back home, and I stumble across an ambulance parked on the side of the road. I think to myself, ah, medical services. Certainly these fine people will have the materials necessary so that I can patch myself up and be on my way. The ambulance driver and EMT looked at me with confusion at my request. Hey guys, I kind of wiped out my bike. My wrist hurts, I've scraped off half my palm and I've got quite a few cuts. Any chance I could borrow some band-aids and some ace bandage to patch myself up? Uh, no, we can't really do that, but we could give you a ride to the hospital. Does that cost money? Uh, depends on your insurance. Okay, so this is how I know this story doesn't take place in the UK. In the UK, you're getting help right away in seconds without a question being asked, unless they're dealing with someone else, of course. The mere mention of a scary adult word like insurance sent 18-year-old me back on his quest to hobble home. That's really sad, to be honest. My final stop on the way back was at a church very near to Mad Margaret's house. I figured that at their core, religious people should want to do nice things for the less fortunate, and I was feeling less than fortunate at that moment. I pestered a priest who was leaving, who stopped long enough to grab me some ace bandage from his first aid kit before going on his way. I pocketed the bandage and decided that I needed to wash off my wounds before putting it on. I've made it to Mad Margaret's house. Now, before I start with her reaction, let me fully explain how injured I was. Feel free to skip this next paragraph, guys, if you're squeamish. I'll put a little timestamp on screen right now of where to skip to if you don't want to hear this. I had learned later that I fractured my wrist. I'd cuts all over, a big scrape on my knees and legs, and the worst of it was I'd effectively scraped one of my palms down to the fat. The fleshy part of my palm on my left hand under my thumb was yellowy and purpley because there was a whole lot of hand left on the asphalt where I crashed. Anyway, here's Margaret's reaction. I enter the house. Bailey! Bailey, are you okay? Well, a lot of my blood is on the wrong side of my skin and I crashed my bike. Oh my God, you look horrible. Actually, I don't suppose you have any first aid stuff so I can start patching myself up, do you? Band-aids, rubbing alcohol. Absolutely, honey, let me get the things. She ended up pouring mild hydrogen peroxide over my scraped up hand over the sink. She looked like a concerned mother and offered more help than I'd accept. She furnished me with band-aids and alcohol wipes. She helped me wrap up my injured hand after disinfecting it. After that, I excused myself to my room and finished cleaning up my remaining scrapes and covered myself in band-aids. The next day, I managed to nab a wrist brace from my fiance's mum, who's been a nurse since forever. Mad Margaret didn't harass me for at least two days afterwards. So there we go. Maybe Mad Margaret is not as bad as I first thought. Maybe she just misunderstood. Maybe she is nice. Or maybe this was a one-off, an anomalous event, and she is still crazy. Mad Margaret Part 7. Her crazy landlady. A quick disclaimer. This is a conversation I had about 10 years ago. I remember parts of the conversation very, very clearly. However, other parts I'm probably not going to get the wording perfect. I promise, however, that I'm writing it in the exact spirit of Mad Margaret. And I refuse to misrepresent myself or anyone in a conversation. It was a rainy day, and I foolishly decided to make myself food in the oven rather than the microwave. Now, those who have read my previous stories will immediately understand this is a terrible idea. The kitchen was a common area in the house, and Mad Margaret has a sixth sense for when people linger in such areas. 
If you found yourself in such an area for more than five minutes It was nearly guaranteed that she would crawl out of some nearby event or materialize from a nearby swarm of bats In order to harass or preach at you I saw her enter the kitchen and immediately knew that I was trapped as my taquitos had just been in and I had 11 minutes of hell standing between me and my cheap Tex-Mex salvation Mad Margaret started her kitchen cornerings as she often did by pretending to be looking for a coffee cup She rummaged around in cabinets for a few minutes before standing next to me to begin a conversation So bailey god help me or the devil. I don't care which how do you like living in this area? Honestly, I do love the area. I grew up in a desert. So I love having all the trees Almost everyone here has been so nice as well. Hmph. You're right. These people can seem super nice But there's evil amongst them It's part of the human condition. There's evil people and jerks everywhere. She completely ignores what I said people can seem so nice here But really be more evil than you can imagine. Yeah shame Have I ever told you about my last landlady? Well this i've got to hear she seemed so nice at first But ultimately she was very taken with the devil and absolutely crazy Wow, that's really hard to imagine when I first moved to this city with my young boys We moved into a house near here My landlady, an Asian name I can't remember, let us stay in a house she owned next door to her. Seems nice. Yes, it seemed like the perfect place for me and my boys, but I started to notice strange things. She made us take off our shoes before entering her house. Clearly, this was supposed to be a big hint that her landlady was evil. Uh, That's a pretty common practice, I think. Yeah, but it didn't stop there. Oh, no. Eventually, we saw her through the window doing yoga and strange poses. My goodness. After seeing her pray to the devil like this, I knew she was evil. Personally, I might need a little more evidence. This next line is literally the only reason that I remember the overwhelming majority of this conversation. And I swear to Mad Margaret's mad god that these were her exact words. Eventually, she saw me watching her do her prayers. And she took one look at me and she tried to use her Asian ninja death breath to kill me and my boys. Her Asian ninja death breath? Yes, I asked to break the lease right there and moved out as soon as I could She just let you break the lease? Well, yes, she probably wanted to be rid of me because god wouldn't let her kill me with the death breath You know, I think that's a fair assumption By that point my taquitos were about ready and I managed to grab them and scurry back to my room Okay, so even though we've established that mad margaret may have a nice side to her may um, And it may not have just been a coincidence that she was nice and helped you out with your cuts and bruises She's still mental and i'm sorry to swear i really am but you know it's mad margaret and she makes me do weird things she is a strange lady now for the final part of this entire story mad margaret part eight the final chapter my exit from mad margaret's house came with the very lucid realization that this woman could walk into an insane asylum and be the least sane person there i began hunting for rooms because the concept of renting an apartment or house was still too terrifying for a freshly solo op and i came across my new future landlady barb Barb had interacted with devilish Dan who was also looking for respite from god's own nuthouse and had determined that he was one of the most obnoxious people on this planet She was overjoyed to find a modest and very kind teenager who'd be willing to live quietly in the separated room She had at her house in the year. I lived at barb's i'd seen her a total of twice despite living in the same house It was very nice thus began my move I figured it was too risky getting my dad back up there to help me move as I didn't want to give mad margaret a reason to attempt to purge my wickedness via fire and brimstone 
So I began the hunt for suitable help Luckily, I found a friend who was willing to help at my college and we got to work I can't quite remember his name But he was a very nice young man who was convinced he held the secret to room temperature superconductors via gold suspended in ferrofluid Nice idea, but wrong. How weird. He and I hopped into his Nissan Leaf and headed to Mad Margaret's. Now, while we were there packing up my things, Margaret gave a wonderful show of the duality of her nature by simultaneously praising Jesus that my wickedness was being exercised from her house and telling me that I was an okay young man and to avoid the evils of the world, such as community college, alcohol, and the devil's lettuce. She eyed my friend's Nissan Leaf with much suspicion during my exit because A, it was owned by a college kid, and B, she didn't trust hybrids, something about the devil powering them. Thankfully, as a poor college student, my worldly possessions fit in two trips in my friend's car. All that was left in my room was the musty furniture it came with and the bucket I put under the constant drip from the ceiling. My final words to Mad Margaret were, thank you for letting me stay in your home. Please seek mental help. Or so I thought. You see, I did see her one last time after that. I was working at my job at Radio Shack. I promise I'm not that old. Radio Shack lasted longer than you all think. When a familiar and long drawn out... Oh, Bailey came from the door. There she stood in all her unholy glory, mad freaking Margaret. Dang it. Oh, Bailey, I didn't know you worked here. Yep, sure do. I see you got your license back. Absolutely. Actually, I was looking. I'm sorry, Margaret. I'm actually just heading out to my lunch. But if you're still here when I get back, we can chat. I then hid in the back room for the next 30 minutes until I was certain she was gone. My manager, Roman, was quite amused as I'm typically a hard worker and would never avoid a customer. I know I was young and not yet jaded by the wonderful world of retail. I gave him the full story when she left. Now, I'm sure you all want an epilogue as to the ultimate fate of Mad Margaret. But unfortunately, I'm pleased to report that I never saw her after that point. My best guess is that she got her license revoked again as she is absolutely the type to continually harass a single person at a store if it catches her attention. She showed me her soapbox and sign that she used to bring downtown on weekends to preach to the masses. And that's it. I got out and never saw her again. I'd like to bump into her now as I'm a much more confident adult and I've got nothing to lose by gently commanding her to check herself into a mental institution, but I'm just as glad to avoid her. Okay, then let's move on to the second part now of this episode. Mad Margaret is done for now. Keep her in your thoughts, of course, but now let's move on to the incredible story of Insane Granny. Mother-in-law in the wilds, the Insane Granny Saga part one. Guys, this was originally posted on the 3rd of October, 2016. So this happened earlier today over the course of about three to four minutes. First of all, some relevant background. I broke my ankle and a few toes on opposite feet a few weeks ago. My cast was removed three weeks ago, so I'm mobile now and down to using just one crutch, mostly for balance. This has meant that my brother has been chauffeuring me around everywhere, including to and from work. He was running late today, so I wobbled my way down to a supermarket to grab milk, etc., and told him to pick me up outside the store at the little pickup drop-off point by the entrance. I was sitting on the bench outside the store when a wild mother-in-law appeared with her daughter-in-law and grandkids. Now, I'm not sure how old the kid was. I'm not good at judging kids' ages. But based on her stream of babbling, I don't think she could speak just yet. She was sitting in the little chair thing in the trolley and she seemed to be quite happy. The mother-in-law was an older woman who was walking slowly but seemed to be fine. The daughter-in-law parked the trolley and kid beside me and told the mother-in-law to wait here. She'll go and get the car so the mother-in-law didn't have to walk across the car park. From what I got from the conversation, the mother-in-law had been moaning about her feet and wanted to sit down. 
The daughter-in-law was trying to get her to sit on the bench and the mother-in-law was martyring herself I promptly put a stop to all of that by offering the mother-in-law my dry part of the bench and moving further away to lean against the wall She didn't even look at me before sitting down like she'd just been crowned The daughter-in-law kissed the kid and told her mummy will be back in a moment You be good for granny and then we'll go for a fun ride in the car The kid's happy and excited for the car ride and the mum disappears as soon as the daughter-in-law was out of earshot The mother-in-law turned to the kid and said you're such a bad little girl. See mummy's leaving you here She's gone without you. No car for you Cue the kid bursting into tears and screaming for her mum Now i'm not sure how much the kid understood of what the mother-in-law had said It may have been all or she could have just understood the no car part either way It's a trashy thing to say to your grandchild or any child to be honest I looked right at her and gave her the raised eyebrow look and some serious glaring Which probably gave away the fact that i'd heard her She completely changed her tune then loudly telling the kid that she was only joking and mummy will be right back, etc Now this didn't really have much effect on the kid and she was working herself into a right state So the mother-in-law decided to take her out of the trolley seats She plonked the screaming kid on her feet then turn back to sit on the bench now guys This kid could have given usain bolt a run for his money The moment she had her not particularly stable balance. She made a run for it screaming for her mummy Straight towards the road There was about 15 feet between the road and me still leaning against the wall and about half that between the kid and the road In the time it took for me to realize the kid was heading for the road and that the mother-in-law hadn't seen anything The kid had made it past the bollard. There are bollards outside shops in the uk I'm, not sure why but I have theories. I have never moved so fast in my life I managed to grab the kid and make it back to the pavement before my ankle realized that a full sprint this soon was so not a good idea Neither of my legs were interested in supporting me after that So I just sort of crumpled into a heap on the pavement with this kid The next thing I know the daughter-in-law is there taking the kid from me It was her car that she'd run in front of she was crying. The kid was crying. I was crying it freaking hurt and the mother-in-law was still sitting on the bench Anyway, I blame it on the adrenaline and pain because normally I wouldn't get involved But I told the daughter-in-law exactly what had happened all of it Even what the mother-in-law had said to the kid when I left the daughter-in-law was still screaming at her mother-in-law So there we go. Then that is the first post Let's get straight into an update that was posted just one day later firstly the ankle It's sore, swollen, and bruised, but thankfully not rebroken. The doctor said it's badly sprained and will set my recovery back, but I don't need to go back into a cast. That's good to hear. So because I had an appointment with my physio this morning, I decided to wait for that instead of heading to A&E last night. Long story short, my physio was convinced that my ankle had rebroken and sent me up to x-ray. Physio department is in the hospital. A nurse or porter, I'm not sure what she was, stuck me in a wheelchair to take me and we got chatting. The nurse said, so how did you manage to hurt yourself this time around? Oh, I chased after a kid that ran into traffic. My God, how did that happen? When was this? Yesterday. And then I get ready to tell the story. Wait. Was this at the supermarket located here? Said the nurse. Uh, yeah. Oh my God, that was my niece. That's right, the mother-in-law is her mother. Apparently her sister-in-law, so the daughter-in-law from yesterday, took off and left her mother-in-law, the nurse's mum, 
at the store yesterday. She's pretty sure her brother and her sister-in-law are now no contact as her sister-in-law has been pushing for no contact. But her brother, the daughter-in-law's husband, is a mummy's boy and had been reluctant. Guys, I apologize if the in-laws are getting a little bit confusing. This is all in relation to what is coming up though, so it kind of has to be this way. Stay with it. She is already no contact with her mother. Just to confirm, that is the crazy granny of this entire story. After she caught her pinching her newborn, she also told me that her niece is fine, but her sister-in-law got a big fright. Well, I'm not surprised. So there you go. It's a dang small world. I had a hundred questions for her, but thought that might be a bit rude. I'm not sure if I'd ever run into her again. It wasn't really clear where in the hospital she worked or what she actually does, but you never know. Well, one week later to the day, there's another update. So here we go. I really didn't expect to have an update for this again. I was pretty sure it was all over. I was wrong. I had another physio appointment today and ran into the kids aunt again. It turns out she's trained to be a physio, so I'll probably see her a lot. After my appointment, she asked if she could talk to me. So we had a sit down and a chat. It turns out the insane granny has gone completely bananas. She's apparently got enough sense about her to realize that the kid's mum now has a damn good reason to go no contact along with the kid and could now probably convince her husband, the kid's dad, to go no contact too. So knowing she is probably about to be cut off, she made a preemptive strike against the kid's mum and dad. She called the police and told them about the incident in the original post, except she completely changed the story. According to her, the kid's mum was being mean and neglectful to the kid, and the insane granny called her out on it, which evolved into an argument. While they were arguing, that is when the kid ran off into the road. The insane granny noticed and ran after her. The kid's mum then snatched the kid from granny and left the granny at the store. No mention of me entirely. Based on how quickly things have moved, they think that insane granny told the police this story on the day of the incident, if not the day after. I'm not sure what the rules are around the world, but here in Scotland, the police have to investigate and they also have to inform social services, who then have to do an initial assessment talking to the kid's school, doctor, and more. Basically, there are a few compulsory boxes to be ticked before deciding whether or not to carry out a more in-depth investigation, and there isn't much you can do to stop it. So the police dropped in to visit the kid's mum and dad last Thursday. The kid's mum told her version of events, but couldn't really give many specifics as she wasn't really there. She only really knew what I told her. So the police, and presumably social services, now have two conflicting reports, one of which claims the involvement of a third party me the next day they received notice that social services would be in touch this has all lit a fire under the kid's dad's butt and he confronted the insane granny the highlights told to me at least include her end game is to get custody of the kid she hopes the kid's mum will be jailed and she admitted to lying to the police but is confident the kid's mum can't prove what actually happened because there's no way she'd be able to find me to corroborate the kid's aunt was told all this over the weekend and while everyone seems to be sure that both the police and social services won't find any problems they're understandably nervous The aunt didn't tell the kid's mum and dad that she'd met me in the hospital for two reasons. First, she didn't actually have my permission to do so and definitely didn't have my permission to give out my contact details. Basically, the aunt asked if I'd be willing to give my side of the story to the police and social services and could the kid's parents contact me. I've agreed and the aunt is going to pass everything on to the kid's parents. Chances are they won't need me to do anything, but you never know. I also pointed out that the security cameras for the store would have caught everything, and that would probably be the police's first stop. So, the drama continues. 
Okay then, and then just five days later, we got the third update to this story. So, things have gotten interesting. The kid's mum contacted me, and we met up for coffee yesterday. She's a really nice lady who was under a lot of stress. I told her about r slash just no mil, that's the subreddit that this story was originally posted on, and she said she'd have a browse, though I've got no idea if she was just being polite or not. She ended up a bit of a ranting mess, but I don't blame her to be honest. She did clear up a few things though, the big one being that the insane granny didn't call the police, she called a friend of hers who works in the social services. Insane granny gave this social services friend her version of events and the friend officially reported the kid's mum. That's how the police became involved. Social services contacted them as they, most likely spearheaded by the social services friend, though this is a speculation on the kid's parents' part, believe the kid to be in immediate danger. The police have found that the kid is in no immediate danger, but they're still investigating what happened at the store. I'm going to give them my statement at some point next week, and that should hopefully be the end of it. Social service, on the other hand, is a totally different can of worms. Regardless of how they got involved, they still have to do an initial assessment and will also be investigating the incident at the store. From what the kid's mum told me, Insane Granny's social service friend is either pushing everything or is actually in charge of the investigation. So far, this social service friend has mostly been doing her job, though rather invasively. She is allowed to speak to all of the kid's parents' neighbors, co-workers, the kid's school, and the kid's doctor. What she isn't allowed to do is show up at the kid's parents' house with the insane granny to try to force a reconciliation. Apparently, insane granny really went for it with the manipulation and gaslighting in front of the social services friend. She seems to be trying to make the kid's mum look like the insane one. Between bouts of fake crying, she, one, acted concerned about the kid's mum's mental state, saying she must be hallucinating because she's remembering the incident wrong. Two, said that the kid should be placed in her, the insane granny's care, until all this nonsense is sorted. Three, asked her son, the kid's dad, how the divorce proceedings are going. They're not divorcing, she's just trying to make it look like they are to her friend. And four, told the kid's mum that she was glad she was feeling well enough to clean the house and asked her if she'd managed to feed the kid today. Oh, wow. When the parents pulled out their trump card, the fact that aunt is, and now there, in contact with me, the granny started fake crying and asking why aunt and kid's mum are lying to everyone that the kid's mum had dragged aunt into her delusion and that she the kid's mum needs help then she turned to her social services friend and told her that aunt and the kid's mum must be paying some poor homeless girl or student to lie for her i totally called that by the way i knew she was going to accuse me of lying or something similar at this point, the kid's mum admits that she lost it at Insane Granny and was screaming at her to leave. This was convincing enough for the social services friend and apparently the kid's dad to suggest to the kid's dad that he might want to have the kid's mum sectioned, committed to a psychiatric facility. Once the social service friend and Insane Granny left, the kid's parents argued. The gist of it being that the kid's dad was sort of taken in by his mother's, Insane Granny's, claims. She didn't tell me much about that, just that he's sleeping in the guest room now. Wow. I offered to speak to him, but she, rightly I suppose, thinks that he should trust her without outside input. Yeah, I agree to be fair. You're telling me that he's believing his crazy mum, the Insane Granny, over his wife. I mean, that's on him. Anyway, I've advised her to contact social services herself and give them my contact information. So there is an official paper trail and insane granny social worker friend 
can't claim that she didn't know anything about me I've also told her to make a complaint about the social services friend But she's nervous that doing so right now might make things worse Okay, then so the next update comes just one day after the previous one on the 17th of october 2016 I'd ask the kid's mum if she wanted me to go and make a statement to the police or just wait until social services contact me She wanted me to go to the police as she's trying to get an interdict order essentially a restraining order against insane granny So I went to give my statement to the police and oh boy has insane granny done a number on them After the kids parents told her that they were in contact with me She went to the police and told them that I might come in claiming to have been involved in the original store incident She's managed to weave some intricate lie essentially trying to discredit me before I gave evidence This worked to a certain extent The officer in charge of the case made it very clear He thought I was lying and had been paid off He asked me a few times how much I was making doing this and told me that I could be arrested for wasting police time and perjury He was immediately dismissive of me and condescending which i'm ashamed to say I don't respond very well to I think that's fair enough I mentioned in a comment on one of my previous posts that I work in forensics and i've been an expert witness both educational and reporting Implying that I could be accepting bribes or that i'm lying could potentially kill my career No way am I endangering my career because some manipulative old lady has an officer wrapped around her gnarly old witch finger (laughs) Wow, I love the imagery there. I will say though this granny must be very Skilled in terms of convincing people to side by her She's got an officer on board that is elite from her despite the fact that she is clearly insane Anyway, unfortunately i've worked with more than my fair share of people who take one look at me and think i'm some sort of inexperienced daft bimbo I usually try to assert myself and if that doesn't work, let them embarrass themselves. It happens eventually In this case, it happened at the end of the interview when he asked me for my employment details My official job title sounds way more important than it is It has the words lead investigator forensic and a few other ones in there that make me sound impressive This definitely made him sit up and listen. I'm not gonna lie I kind of chewed him out a bit though. He mostly realized himself that he'd screwed up He'd allowed himself to be completely manipulated by insane granny and I pointed out that it's pure luck that what I do for a living comes with a lot of credibility What would have happened if I had been some poor student or someone uncomfortable in this type of situation or heck anyone else? So I set the record straight about insane granny. Well what I know to be fact I also filled him in off the record about what aunt and the kid's mum told me which I obviously can't prove So we had a chat and I got a few things straightened out One of which was that insane granny did in fact contact the police after the incident at the store I was originally told that she contacted the police who contacted social services Then I was told that this wasn't true Instead insane granny had contacted her social services friend who reported the incident and somehow got the police involved It was unclear how so we think complete speculation on mine and the police's part here by the way That once insane granny made her report to the police and they said they'd be contacting social services Insane granny took it upon herself to contact her social services friend So we definitely know that the social services friend is not officially involved A few of you who work in social services pretty much said the same thing that is shady So insane granny and her social services friend are basically a rogue duo going around town trying to get dirt on the kid's mum I've reported her. I've told the kid's mum this too and the police are now aware of her 
though whether they just let social services deal with her or get themselves involved i don't know yet the officer also told me some of the things that insane granny has claimed about me now before anyone loses their head about him breaking confidentiality etc he never actually gave me her side of the story or told me what she said in her statement i got that from the kid's aunt all he told me was what she said when she came in to warn him i'd be making a fake police report so she's claimed to the police this is that i someone she knows absolutely nothing about and met for less than five minutes am a poor student desperate for money i have a history of lying to the police she knows this because apparently i'm friends with the kid's mum's drug addict cousin I might be a drug addict she doesn't know and that i once tried to seduce her son the kid's dad which is impressive as i've never met the guy before unfortunately i gave him all my watts so i don't have any to spare for you i also asked about the security camera outside the store they didn't manage to get anything from them as they're aimed at the door not the pickup area i did have a look on the way in and i thought that it might be a long shot so what is still to happen the kids parents will have an official social services visit sometime soon social services will most likely want to talk to me the police will be going after insane granny for wasting police time and filing a false police report and finally there will hopefully be a follow-up to my complaint about the social services friend well then let's see what happens next eight days later we get the fifth update in this story I don't think you'll need your drama llamas for this update. More likely you'll need your perplexed alpacas. Anyway, it's more weird than dramatic. As some of you know, because of the state of my ankle, I've been staying with my parents and younger brother for the last few months. Well, on Monday, my mum had the day off and was pottering around the house. My parents' place is in a very rural area of Scotland. Our closest neighbour is six miles away and our house is at the end of what is essentially a mile-long dirt or tractor track. It's hard to find and the only strangers we get out here are either forestry people who miss the forest access road or one or two brave or quite possibly lost Jehovah's Witnesses. Google Maps and Satnavs can't find it and no one delivers out here except Royal Mail. At around noon, a car pulled up. However, no one got out. This isn't too unusual. As I said, it's usually someone lost. So my mum hung around at the front of the house in case they came over to ask directions. Instead, after a few minutes, the car left. About an hour later, though, the same car pulls up and the same thing happens again. Another hour goes by and they're back again. Only this time, two women exited the car. They didn't go to the door. Instead, they decided to have a little snoop around. One tried to go around the back of the house, which is currently fenced off as our back garden is being used as a paddock for a pregnant mare and her foal. The others started trying to look in the windows. So my mum goes out and asks if she could help them. They very quickly say no. They were just looking before booking it back to their car and speeding off. Naturally, my mum was confused enough to tell my dad, brother and I what happened pretty much as soon as we got home. I've definitely been working in forensics too long as my immediate reaction was that they were casing the place. Now, we have security cameras. They're not for the house or security. They were originally set up around our back garden so we could watch for when the mayor went into labor. They were never removed because the foal turned out to be the reincarnation of Houdini and then we had the mayor covered again. One of the cameras is aimed at the gate that one of the women tried to open to get into the back garden. So we had a little look at the footage. Can you guess who was trying to open that gate? Yep, insane granny was at my parents' place. I have no idea who her friend was, what they wanted, or why they didn't talk to my mum. And I can only assume she got this address from the kid's parents. My money is on the dad. My mum had to day off work as well, but she said no one turned up. 
However, I have a day off tomorrow and apart from my brother being about in the morning I'll be home alone I know many of you will suggest calling the police for either harassment or trespassing or both But in scotland trespassing is a civil matter not a criminal one. So they can't get involved There are laws regarding trespassing But they're mostly to do with squatting and scotland has a lot of public access laws Which essentially let people go wherever they want in regards to the rural areas The stalking and harassment laws require two related incidents and must pass the reasonable person test If the average person on the street was subject to this behavior would they feel threatened alarmed or distressed if not then there was no offense the offender must also be aware that what they're doing is causing alarm or distress for example if your mother-in-law wants access to your kids and keeps coming around to your house to complain every night for a fortnight you become fed up and begin to feel distressed about your mother-in-law's constant visits your mother-in-law is aware that her behavior will cause you distress and is hoping to wear you down into letting her see your kids i'm not particularly worried even with my leg i'm pretty sure i could take her and my brother has graciously let me borrow bernard his old shinty stick with a kitchen knife duct taped to it when i first broke my ankle i also gave myself a head injury my brother and i spent that night and the next day binge watching the walking dead and i think he freaked himself out as two days later bernard appeared ah it's too close to halloween for this okay and that is the end of the fifth update so just to briefly go over what's happened so far in this story op has saved the child from running into traffic after being bullied and released by this insane granny the granny then gives a false police report to get custody of said child op then has a chance encounter with the child's aunt and offers to be a witness if you remember that was the nurse Granny then goes to the police station first though and lies about OP. Luckily, this is resolved despite the police officer's failings at first due to OP's profession, forensics, alongside the police. And then as we've just seen, the granny has turned up at OP's parents' home. All right then, now getting straight into update six. This comes on the 27th of October, 2016. So just a couple of days after update five. I'd like to clear up a few things from my last post. A few people thought that I wasn't taking this situation seriously enough. And I think I came across as a bit blasé and unconcerned about everything. I apologize for this. And I want to say that I am treating this incident seriously. And I do not think it was an innocent coincidence. I know this woman is dangerous and always plan to take action. I wasn't planning on just forgetting or ignoring this. I think the problem most people had was that they didn't think the steps I planned to take were enough. For example, I'd always planned to contact both social services and the kids' parents about this and I've been undecided about contacting the police. Posting here, however, quickly convinced me that contacting the police was a good idea. Many of you have also expressed concerns about my family, property, and the animals. Yeah, that is fair enough. You do have an insane granny coming onto your property and sneaking about. This is unfortunately a bit more difficult as it's not my house and my parents seem to think I'm paranoid. My dad was the biggest holdouts, but after pointing out some of the rubbish that my grandmother has pulled I swear i'll post more about her. This is kind of taken over though He agreed to take a few safety measures that we honestly should have done regardless of insane granny There have also been a few who don't believe this is real. I haven't gotten messages about this, but the mods have to you I say I completely understand that mentality It's hard to imagine that there are people out there capable of this And I get that me randomly stumbling over the aunt so soon after the original incident Sounds like a convenient coincidence and the insanity has just continued I get it. I'd be skeptical too if it wasn't happening to me. For some of you, it's even harder to imagine that I would post personal details about both myself and another family. Well, that's what Reddit is. From the just know subreddits to r slash relationships to r slash raised by narcissists to r slash today I effed up. 
they all contain personal stories. I mean, you guys watching and listening to this episode will know that that is the beauty of Reddit. However, OP has changed and omitted many, many things to keep all parties anonymous and yet still give you an accurate retelling of what's going on. So in that regard, yes, you could consider my post lies. I also have the permission of the kid's mum to make these posts and the police are aware of them too. I am aware though that I am words on a screen to you. You don't know me. You've got no way of confirming any of this and I draw the line at posting more personal details of anyone involved. Yes, even including Insane Granny. This includes the video of Insane Granny. All I can say is that this is a very real and frustrating situation that I hope resolves itself quickly. Though if people or our supreme overlords, the mighty mods, love you really, want me to remove information or posts or stop updating altogether, that is perfectly fine. It's an interesting one and I completely back OP here. Obviously, as I always say with all the stories that I narrate, there is no way of us ever really knowing 100% if they are 100% legit, but that's kind of part of the fun, isn't it? Deciding whether or not they're fake or not. I will say on this one, the amount of detail leaves me no doubt. This is definitely a real story. It's just an insane granny. What can you say? I will say though, guys, get your comments in down below. Do you think this story is real or fake? I am pretty confident it's real, but you know, let me know. What do you think? So then the updates. All was quiet on my day off. No sign of insane granny. Sorry, drama llamas. No fee today. I called the police officer who previously took my statement and there is nothing they can do about insane granny being at the house. He also just repeated what I already knew about trespassing, harassment and access laws. Sorry to a Reddit user who had asked about this. I tried, but it apparently barely counts as an incident. Never mind more than one. As far as witness intimidation goes, the law, the few that exist, only really protects witnesses and victims when a case goes to court. He also warned me not to try to remove her from the property or set traps, as if she's injured, she can sue. Now, I hadn't planned to do that anyway. The good news is that it's been officially reported and I've sent in the video of her trying to open the horse's gates. Social services also know and have assured me that they're still investigating Insane Granny's friend. They wanted to know if it was that same friend with Insane Granny at my parents' house, but she doesn't appear on tape. I've pointed them in my mother's direction though, as she can give a description of the other woman. I texted the kid's mum the night I made my last update and another Redditor gets a cookie or a stiff drink if you'd prefer. She was too busy exploding at her husband to reply, but she rang me the next day and updated me. The kid's dad is the leak. He categorically denied giving my address to insane granny. No, no, he's not that stupid. He actually did. He gave it to the social services friend. The moron. Apparently, she rang him the day after her little intervention, asking for the witness's address, and he just handed it over. I've not met this guy yet, but I already want to kick him in his special place. I mean, teeth. From what she said, he seemed to be coming around to the fact that Mummy Dearest is a psycho, but obviously there are still problems. This incident has caused him to slip back into his previous delusions, i.e. he doesn't believe that she'd come all the way out here and that I must be lying to them. So she made him ring Insane Granny and outright ask his mum if she'd been to my parents' place. As she told me this, I was all ready to send her the video so she could show it to her husband and prove that the Insane Granny, his mum, was lying. That never happened. Insane Granny admitted on speakerphone to the kid's parents that she'd been at my parents' place. According to her, she went to confront me for lying to the police and to convince me to follow the moral path and save her family. That's an actual quote according to the kid's mum by redacting my statement. Second, nobody by my name lives there. 
Third, the lady that lived at that address, I'm assuming this is my mum, had never heard of me. And finally, that I didn't give my real address, so therefore I can't be trusted. The kid's mum told Insane Granny that it was my parents' place, and I was staying there because of my broken ankle, which had been further injured by her actions. Basically, she defended me, and it turned into a screaming match before Insane Granny hung up. I get why the kid's mum corrected her. I do. But now it's been confirmed that I do live at that address, so she's probably going to come out again. Her friend was never mentioned though, and I've sent her the video of Insane Granny, which won't do much good if she's admitting she was out there. They've also had their initial assessment by their actual social service worker, and it seems to go well, and they'll be in contact soon. I honestly can't figure out what Insane Granny's plan is here. I'm very suspicious of her immediately admitting to being at my parents' place, unless she noticed the cameras and figured that she'd been caught. It's possible they weren't exactly hidden. A few other things I've done since Insane Granny's visits. I've moved some of the security cameras to cover the front of the house. Well, this is a lie, actually. My dad did that. I was just there. They're pretty well hidden now. So if Insane Granny and her mysterious friend do get wind of the fact that she was caught at the gate and decide to visit again but avoid the gate, she should be caught at the front of the house. At the very least, we'll get the car license plates. Bonus, Scottish laws say nothing about having to signpost that there are cameras about, as they only aim at our domestic property. The foal has been moved. Now, this was going to happen anyway. We're starting to wean her and get her used to a few things. Her head collar, lead rope, the farrier, etc. And get her socializing with other foals. Pregnant mum is boring now. Unfortunately, the mare is still in there as it's coming into winter now and we don't have anywhere else suitable to put her. I'm not overly worried. She tends to keep her distance from strangers, even when offered food. There's not much more we can do with her. And finally, I also did something I maybe shouldn't have. I lifted Insane Granny and her mysterious friend's prints from the gate and the window. There was just a really great set on the window. Now, for a whole heap of reasons, these will never, ever stand up as evidence in court, if anything ever got to that stage. I don't really know why I did it. They can't be used in any official capacity, but there you go. It's just heating up. I love the fact that you've lifted prints. You couldn't even help yourself, OP. Not that you could ever use them. It's just in your DNA. What a pun that is, by the way. What a pun. We're kind of at a crossroads here, aren't we? Not exactly sure what's going to happen next, but the insane granny and her friend are getting physical now. Like the fact that they've gone to your parents' house and are snooping around just shows that they have no intention of stopping before they get what they want. The fact that they've gone to some place in the middle of nowhere up in some Scottish valley to try and like just, you know, bring all this together, get you gone, make sure the police believe them and not you. It's mental. So far, this story has been brilliant. As I said, I 100% believe it's real and every fiber in my being I mean, if it's not, then fair enough. You're an amazing creative writer, OP. But yeah, oh, I'm excited to see what happens next. Okay, then. So this is officially update seven of the entire story on November the 10th, 2016. That's two weeks after the last update. So I had an interesting few days. To the total and utter shock of exactly no one, Insane Granny showed up at my parents' place again. I was there alone and heard the doorbell, but not the car pulling up. I answered the door and Insane Granny was standing with another woman who claimed to be from social services. I suspect that this is the elusive social services friend that has been helping. 
She wanted to interview me about the original incident and my police reports I didn't let them into the house and told social services lady that there is no way i'm giving her my statement with insane granny presence She shouldn't even be here and I should have been contacted before she randomly showed up Social services lady then backtracked a bit and said that it was just a friendly unofficial visit to discuss me redacting my statement to the police Before I could react to that insane granny opened her mouth and asked in a sickly sweet voice Why won't you let us in the house? Is it because it's full of drugs? Hey, you what? I know she's been telling people this but that was rather on the nose I ignored her and told them both to leave while she tried to peer around me and into the house Social services lady kept pushing for an unofficial interview and then said they could wait while I tidied away the drugs If that made me more comfortable at this point I realized they're both completely insane and I probably won't be able to reason with either of them So I asked them to leave again and told them I would call the police if they did not comply Not exactly a bluff. I would definitely call them It's just that I know that there is absolutely nothing they can do But I was hoping the threat of it would make them leave then insane granny opened her mouth again and asked me How much do you make working as a whore? She was oddly calm when she asked these questions like she was asking me about the weather. It was creepy as anything I assumed she wanted a big reaction from me to make me look like the crazy one. She didn't get one I just blinked at her and took up my phone to call the police I didn't even manage to start dialing before social services ladies said they were leaving and asked me when i'd be available to give my statement to her I told her if social services want to interview me It will be a different social worker and would be at my place of employment Then I gave her my business card. My purse was just inside the door that shut her up and she started to walk back to her car Insane granny, however, wasn't happy that social services lady wanted to leave She suddenly went from creepy calm and sweet to screaming at me She had a proper tantrum too stomping her feet and flinging her body about She even started kicking one of my mum's planters repeatedly I don't know if she was trying to break it or kick it over But she just kept ramming her foot into it while screaming that i'm a lying little female dog Taking her baby away from her scum trying to ruin her life just like the kid's mum, a and a and yeah those two have just been censored but i'm sure you can probably work out what they might be i just turned around went into the house and closed the door on her i could see from the window that social services lady had pulled the insane granny back to the car they sat there for a few minutes talking before the insane granny just lost her mind in the car I have no idea what she was saying, but she was banging her fists on the dash and throwing herself about The car was actually shaking two minutes later. They pulled away and I have the entire episode on tape I rang the police officer that i've been dealing with and met with him yesterday to report this and give him the tape This definitely goes down as an incident of harassment and i've spoken to hr at work who was setting up a meeting for me with a solicitor I've also complained to social services again and updated the kids parents I also saw on the tape that before they rang the doorbell they went snooping again Not near the horse this time, but they were looking in the windows again. I'm not sure what will happen with this I'm hoping social services lady has come to her senses and dumps insane granny's butt or she tries it at my work, which won't go well for her at all. All right, then that is the end of the seventh update, but let's not wait around. Update eight comes two and a half weeks later on the 28th of November. So I only found out about this today and I'm writing it up in the middle of a staff meeting. So bear with me. I rang the kid's mum on the way into work and it just all came out. She was too upset and it's too early in the process yet to answer a lot of questions. So basically 
I know what you know or are about to know. Firstly, I met with a solicitor through work. I've had to do it this way in case insane granny attempts to approach me while I'm at a crime scene. He doesn't think there's enough for a non-harassment order, but he's gonna try anyway. This isn't costing me anything, so he can do what he wants. We've put a few safety measures and deterrence in place that I'm not going to mention here just in case. Wow, imagine if insane granny was tracking her on Reddit too. I rang the kid's mum this morning to update her about my solicitor and she gave me an update on insane granny. Oh boy, is she living up to her name? She rang the kid's dad while he was at work last week and left a series of ranting messages. Most were about how she was done with all the petty fighting, how everything was the kid's mum's fault, he never should have married her, etc. In one, she told him she was putting her foot down, that they were leaving, and that he should meet her at the airport as soon as he left work. He, in what I assume is a very rare moment of intelligence, I'm not a fan of this man if you couldn't tell, completely ignored her and instead went home after work. Any bets as to what he found when he got home? If you guessed a wide open front door and a ransacked house, you win a cookie and a stiff drink. If you guessed insane granny packing his clothes and belongings into suitcases, you win two cookies and a double shot of your stiff drink. If you guessed all of the kid's clothes and toys packed into insane granny's car, along with the actual kid, you win three cookies and a triple shot. And if you guessed all of the above, congratulations, you win a bakery and a pub. Guys, if you commented that, then I'm gonna have to supply the bakery and the pub, free of charge, it's gonna be my expense, OP says so. Yep, insane granny was still on the pickup list for the kid's nursery. Don't worry, this has been fixed. So she'd packed all her stuff, nicked the kid, used the hidden spare key to get into the parents' house, packed her son's and granddaughter's belongings, including their passports and birth certificates, and loaded up the car with the intent of heading to the airport and leaving the country. I'm not sure what the kid's dad's reaction was, but he did phone his wife, the kid's mum, and tell her she didn't need to pick the kid up from nursery. When she told me this, I believe my reaction was, oh, how freaking thoughtful of him. Then I eye-rolled so hard they fell out and I lost them. So if you see them, nearsighted, blue, I'll pay for shipping. Anyway, the kid's mum heard insane granny in the background of that phone call and got the story out of him. I think you guys will probably heard her roaring when she found out insane granny's plan. She immediately called the police while she sped her way home. The kid's mum pulled up before the police did and she immediately got her kid out of insane granny's car. When she entered the house, insane granny lived up to her namesake and went insane at her. I wasn't given details about what she said, but there was apparently a lot of screaming about the kid's mum stealing her baby and ruining her life and more. I've got no idea what the kid's dad was doing at this point. The police arrived and insane granny instantly shut up and became all sweet and calm. She pulled this act with me the last time I saw her. It's creepy as anything. The police separated the kid's mum and insane granny to take statements. And once again, insane granny lied to them. She claimed that the kid's dad had let her into the house and that she was helping him move out as the kid's parents were divorcing. I think she was expecting the kid's dad to just roll over and go along with her, like usual. Instead, though, according to the kid's mum, he just looked really defeated and told the police, no, that's not what happened. So Insane Granny was arrested for theft by housebreaking, which is basically breaking and entering. But Scotland is a special little snowflake and doesn't have breaking and entering. Instead, we have housebreaking, which isn't illegal unless there was also intent to steal. We also don't have burglary. Instead, we have robbery, which is theft with violence or the threat of violence. And we have theft, which is, well, theft. Interesting Scottish laws here. Editor Steve-O editing this. 
Your thoughts? I think it's a little bit weird. Oh, and apparently the kidnapping rules are also weird too. England and Wales have kidnapping laws, but Scotland has abduction laws over the age of 12 and plagium laws, children under the age of 12. None of them count in this situation as insane granny technically still had permission to pick the kid up from playgroup and she took the kid to her primary residence. Yes, she planned to leave the country with her, but the fact that she planned for the kid's dad to come too, she even had a plane ticket for him, counts as having parental permission to take the child out of the country, as technically the kid would be in her dad's custody. Regardless if this was by design or not, she's very good at just skirting the edge of illegal and dancing about in the legally gray area. Anyway, she was charged and then released on bail, so she's still out there. The kid's dad seems to have seen the light though, which is good, and they've started cracking down on their security now too. She's been taken off the nursery pickup list, they're changing the locks, security cameras, the works. Well, that is good to hear. Oh, and social services got back to them and gave them the all clear. They're not taking their investigation any further. And there we go, guys. That is the end. A happy ending for once. Oh no, I'm only joking. One week later, here's another update from the 6th of December. I mentioned last time that Insane Granny is out on bail. She's electronically tagged, has a curfew, and is not allowed any contact with the kid's parents or the kid. This includes being near their house, workplaces, the kid's school, and more. She's also being charged with a few other things for some of her previous actions relating to me. Now, I'm not going to actually say what these charges are, as the court rolls are public, so anonymity would be right out of the window. But this does mean that she's not allowed to contact or be near me either. Yay! Personally, I'm hoping this is the end of it, but history has shown I'm not that lucky. The kid's parents are still together, though from what the kid's mum has said, this is only so the kid can have a nice Christmas. She seems to have the same problem that a lot of you here do. She thinks her husband is perfect in every way, except for when it comes to pretty much everything regarding his mother. But he's agreed to counselling, so we'll see what happens in the new year. I spoke to the aunt as well. She's completely on the kid's mum's side. She doesn't have anything nice to say about her brother, the kid's dad, right now. Wow. That said, she has been telling me some stories about their childhood, and I'm pretty sure Insane Granny is evil in its purest form. Social services friend has been struck off. I had an interview with their investigative committee or whoever and gave my witness statement. She has an interim order, so she can't work in any form of social services at all. I've got no idea how long that lasts, but she was found to be a danger to the general public and service users, so I'm hoping a long time. I'll also be on her Disclosure Scotland, so I doubt she'll ever work with the vulnerable again. There'll be a hearing sometime in the next six months or so that I'll be testifying at too. And I think that's it really. We're keeping the security cameras around the house and I'm actually moving back to my flat sometime in the new year, which I'm looking forward to. And then four months later, on the 15th of March, 2017, we got this, the final huge update to this tale. I know for some of you, it won't be enough, but I've taken photos because I've thrown my uncooperative idiot of a scanner out the window of my witness citation and my original complaint about the social services friend and redacted them worse than anything that ever came out of Area 51. Obviously, I can't prove everything or even have copies of everything, and I'm not going to ask the kids' parents and others for their documentation just to post it here. Right then, so having a quick look at this, you can see it is from the Scottish Courts and Tribunal Service. It all looks pretty official to me. Obviously, a lot of stuff has been removed, personal details and such. Moving on to the second one, make a complaint about a worker registered with the Scottish Social Services Council. Well, that is exactly what OP claims to be doing. Yeah, all the stuff has been crossed out but it looks very legit 
Ah, and now we see what is really legit, the actual story in itself. Yeah, with everything crossed out, if you are watching on YouTube, you can see, but this is the exact same story that Opie has been telling us on Reddit, just written in an actual complaint form. Now, if Opie has faked all of this, to this extent, I mean, there's loads here. I'll put everything on the screen, but there is absolutely loads, loads and loads of pages. Let's just flick through them all. Wow, it's signed as well. That uh, fair play. You've conned us all, but uh, yeah, it's pretty obvious by this point if it wasn't already that this is a completely legit story Okay, so the last time I left you insane granny had been released on bail and wasn't allowed to contact the kid Her parents or me She didn't even get a chance to contact the kid or her parents as the kid's mum decided to visit her parents Somewhere in englandshire for the holidays The kid's dad did go with them on the condition that if he at any time opened his mouth in defense of insane granny the kid's mum would file for divorce that day they are still together so he must have shut up as far as i was concerned this was over the only problem i had is that when someone is electronically tagged a condition of her bail they need the addresses of the places they're not allowed to go so that they know not to go there in my case this was my parents place where she'd already been my main office which she knew from my business card and my own flat Thankfully, my flat has two security doors and I'm never there. My parents had also decided to redo their driveway before Christmas too. This was something they'd been planning for a while and decided just to do before they put in a security gate. As a result, their driveway was completely unusable and the only access to the house was a long, unmarked tractor track that involved a bit of off-roading. Essentially, she couldn't get to me at home and my workplace is basically a police station, so I was happy enough to think that, apart from court, I would never have to lay eyes on insane granny again. Yes, I know I'm a moron. Bail and being electronically tagged barely slowed insane granny down. With her son, daughter-in-law, and grandchild in the wind, she had no one to turn her insanity on. Oh no, wait, that's not right. She had me. You see, the building I work in is rather big and sprawling, has multiple entrances and a police station in front of it. As a result, the building also had multiple addresses. Because of my leg, I don't know if anyone remembers, but I broke it a while back being a moron, I haven't been driving to work. Instead, my brother has been dropping me off. This has meant that I've been entering and exiting the building through the police station instead of the lab entrance. The police station which has a different address to the lab. I had no idea, but apparently this meant that nobody was notified when insane granny started parking herself across from the entrance to the police station. I never noticed her park there, nor did I notice when she started following me out to crime scenes. Yep, but it gets worse. Here's that seems like it's irrelevant, but actually it's relevant information that I warned you about. Most of you know that I work in a branch of forensics that deals with really dead people. Very few of our cases turn out to be criminal. The main case I was working at the time, still am actually, was such a case. It was in a rather rural area with multiple sets of remains found in a place where there should be human remains, just not quite in the situation they were found in. I know, be more vague OP, but think of something along the lines of a funeral home fire. Nothing suspicious and you'd expect to find remains in the debris. This was a similar situation. However, dead humans found in odd situation usually means there has to be an investigation just to make sure the remains are who they're supposed to be, that they're all accounted for, nobody was slipped in on the sly, etc. For a number of reasons, it was decided that we, Reed I, would just set up a mobile lab in an isolated building not far from the original scene instead of moving everything to our lab. The building was similar to a town hall or a dance studio or something. 
It mostly consisted of one large room with two smaller storage rooms at the back. One room had a fire exit that could only be opened from the inside, and the other had a single door that we were using to get in and out of the building. The front of the building had a set of double doors that led into a small entryway with toilets on either side and another set of double doors in front that led to the big main room of the building that I worked in. Both sets of doors were unlocked so I could get equipment in and out. However, when I wasn't moving equipment, there was a police car parked in front of the doors and the area was roped off with police tape. I swear to frick, this is all relevant. Now on screen right now, if you're watching on YouTube, OP has actually done a kind of map of everything going on here, labeling themselves and the position of other officers. It's a it's an amazing paint job, I will say, but it helps give some sort of indication visually as to what is going on here. Right, while this wasn't an active crime, I'm seeing. OP was still working with forensic evidence, which technically belongs to Police Scotland and the crime lab. So they had two to three uniformed officers on rotation as security. I'm going to name them officers one to three. And again, on the map, you can kind of see where they are. So officer one is right over to the left, just chilling out. Officer two is near the fire exit at the back of the hall. And officer three is coming from the right. And remember, this is a forensic thing. You know, it's police taped. A normal civilian can't get involved here. So there I am working away by myself when Officer One comes sprinting in, telling me to drop everything and GTFO now. He actually hauled me out the last few feet as I apparently wasn't moving quickly enough. He drags me out and around to the front of the building. I think you've all pretty much guessed who was there. Yep, Insane Granny was outside being insane. Or more accurately, she was kicking and screaming on the ground while officers two and three tried to restrain her. So naturally, I stop walking and start doing my best impression of a fish while my brain nopes the frick out and I vaguely hear the sound of an old dial-up modem as my brain tries, in vain, to reconnect with reality. Meanwhile, she's shrieking like a toddler and officer one is basically dragging me under the police tape and across the road while talking about getting to a safe distance. Why exactly did we have to get to a safe distance? Because insane granny had opened the building's first set of double doors, dumped a few petrol cans and propane tanks in the entryway and doused the lot in petrol? The only reason the whole place hadn't gone up in flames, other than the fact that propane tanks come with safety valves, so it is rather hard to explode them, was because Officer 3, who just pulled up from his shift, had caught her walking towards the front door from the right side of the building. Oh my days. When she saw him, she made a run for the front door, but he was faster. When he got to her, she had a lighter in her hands and he could smell the fuel inside the building. That was enough for him to realize she was actually a threat and not just some nosy female dog so he took her down and dragged her away this alerted officer two to the situation he was stationed outside the single door around the side and the two of them tried to restrain her while officer one who'd been somewhere along the perimeter of the original scene was sent to get me out once more we're going to flash the photo up on screen right now you can see that officer three came from the right officer one was way away on the left and officer two was at the back but wow Insane Granny just came from out of nowhere and would have probably been able to set this entire place on fire if Officer 3 wasn't coming for his shift. That is crazy. So the question is, what was Insane Granny doing around the right side of the building? Well, she was parking her car up against the fire escape so it couldn't be opened. Yep, she basically tried to trap me in a building and set fire to it. I'm not going to go into specifics here, but she screwed herself royally by trying to set that particular building on fire. 
Not only because she attempted to trap people, mainly me, but she didn't know who else was in there, inside. But remember when I said it was being used as a mobile lab? Yeah, that meant it officially contained material that was, and is, still considered evidence in an ongoing police investigation. And she did all of this while out on bail. Elevating the charges to aggravated and guaranteeing her a prison sentence measured in years Also to add a lot of people are asking about what she's being charged with This incident happened before christmas and her bail for the original breaking and entering charge was immediately revoked And she was denied bail for her second set of charges in scotland If you're denied bail your trial has to happen within 110 days So the trial happened pretty freaking quickly She is currently in prison. I'm not going to give a list of charges. I've got no idea if you'll be able to find her from that, but I'm just not going to risk it. But yeah, they were serious. I'm also not giving her exact sentence for the same reason, but I will say that it was for over three years. The kid and the kid's parents were told about this incident the day it happened and were at the trial. They're still together. The kid's dad apologized to me a few times and he's not, as far as I'm aware, defending his mother anymore. I hope this cleared up a few things. So then there we go. That is it. Mad Margaret versus Insane Granny. That is it. Okay, now it's time for the big one. Number one, what is my favorite story that I've read on Reddit this year, 2023? Comment down below, first of all. Before I give it away, comment down below. What do you think it could be? Now, I'll give you a little bit of a clue. It was a story that a few of you suggested. I couldn't help but agree with you guys. It just made me laugh so much. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever read. Unbelievably, it actually comes from r slash stories about Kevin. And as you're about to see, it is truly bonkers. And that is why I just love it so much. So here it is. Here is my favorite story of the year. Kevina performs CPR on roadkill. I worked with a Kavina and she drove a trashy little beta sedan. She was driving up in the mountains, rounded a corner, and absolutely annihilates a deer's front end. By some miracle, she was not hurt, though her car was totaled. She gets out and sees that the deer is definitely dead. There's brain matter all over the pavement. She calls her boyfriend Kevin in tears about how bad she feels for the deer. Kevin tells her, Why don't you try CPR? You're a veterinary technician. I'm sure you can do it. Kavina hypes herself up and convinces herself this is a good idea. She starts doing the standard two-handed chest pumps and is getting nowhere because the deer is too broad and she's 5'2 and 100 pounds. This progresses to her punching the deer in the chest as hard as she can. She gets into a rhythm and starts bending the deer's head up to her face to give mouth to snout breaths. Thankfully, another driver had seen the incident, pulled over to help, and was on the phone with emergency services. The driver ends the phone call, gets out of her car, and tries to convince Kavina to stop swapping spit with Bambi. But Kavina is convinced that she can do this. The laws of nature be danged. Kavina's knuckles are bloody and raw from assaulting the corpse, and her face is covered in blood from trying to do mouth-to-snot breaths. She refuses to stop until the ambulance crew arrives to check her out. The EMTs had to convince her it was a lost cause so she would get in the ambulance. She wasn't hurt in the crash, but I'm sure they wanted to be cautious given the amount of blood that she had on her. I can't help but wonder what would have happened if it worked and that deer popped back up. Yeah, just the phenomenal start to this episode. I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It wouldn't be unbelievably insane if you didn't see the deer's brain spattered, if that's even a word, all over 
the road. Uh, probably splattered was more up, more up there, but we'll go for spattered. Just the image there of a woman giving mouth to snout, as OP so phenomenally called it, on, on an animal that is just so clearly dead. Crazy. I mean, look, she has good intentions, and that's what I said in the intro. It's, it's people that aren't malicious people. You know, she's trying to save her life there, and she probably feels really guilty. But it's just ridiculous. Absolutely insane. So there we go, guys. That is it. Those are my top 10 stories from Reddit of 2023 that I've narrated, that is. Let me know down below. Do you agree with this list? Am I missing anything? I probably am. To be fair, I've done a lot of episodes this year. There probably are a couple that have slipped through. But I do like that top 10. I really do. I feel like it's varied. Some really, really dark and pretty serious stuff, to be fair. Some wholesome stuff, which is always great. And then stuff like I've just read. Truly ridiculous, but so, so funny. That is the beauty of Reddit. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. If you did, drop a like. If you enjoyed my content across the year, Subscribe. What a way to end 2023. And let's go massive in the new year. That's what she said. That's what she said. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.